All right. According to the StreamYard interface, we are live. This is the Friday morning Bridges of Meaning question and answer, where I take questions from the Bridges of Meaning Discord server. I put a link in the in the let first Friday devotions begin, Father Eric says. I put a link here in the comments. Um, let's see if I can pin that. I, I got to go into the the other page to pin it. Ooh, we have one viewer. How about that? Look at that. Well, let me let me get into my settings here. I know this makes for a gripping, gripping television. Television set. Is that what we're doing? Have we succumbed? This is what this is the consequence of having no grim griv saving throws. Uh, I get to listen to myself in three-second delay. Uh, let's see. I will pin that message to the top. And we have four watching now. Four watching. I was watching the the Grim Griv morning live stream this morning, which uh, I guess there's a little, um, you know, I always go to Grim Grivs and Friday Morning Nameless and some of the other channels to keep up on the drama. Um, I'm not, I haven't been in the Discord server for a while. I, I think it has absolutely nothing against the people in the Discord server. I, having, you know, played around with that for a while, um, my main, my main agenda is to facilitate the creation of relationships and smaller communities between you all. And I think discords can do that well. Uh, from what I've seen, discords very much have a, um, the, the majority response I got from people about discords was I couldn't understand it. Now, for those of you who are under 40, who, and maybe under 30, who are very familiar with Discord from gaming. Discord's probably like um, paper and pencil. So for you, um, go for it. Um, lots of ways that you can create smaller sub-communities in Discord. This week, I had a wonderful conversation with the Bastion of Beauty community that, that started from... from, from Sherry Hawkins and Caleb was on there and they're doing a small film thing and they're putting together uh, a presentation of their work. And, and to me, the seeing all of the little sub communities. So at, at heart, in many ways, um, I'm still kind of a church planter. I love to see new little communities get formed. So that's, that's really what I'm doing. Hey, Spatch, how are you? Um, let's see, up to 12 viewers. How about that? My sister, I, I don't know if uh, all of you know, my sister has a YouTube channel. It's uh, content is radically different from my own. She's doing like primitive home stuff. And she's, my, my sister is one of these creatives like Jordan Peterson talks about. Um, she's a musician. She's a photographer. She's an artist. She does all of these things. And she struggles to monetize, um, but she had she had a number of years where she had chronic fatigue. Uh, she had a couple of kids, so she has a she has a YouTube channel and Clay the Primitive Home, and she does a bunch of stuff with my cousins. Actually, when I'm um, when I when I travel to Massachusetts to visit my family, I'll probably be on her channel. Um, 
she lives sort of in an she lives <laughs> this will this will this will really get some of you guys excited i had to post the link to bom you need to update your self promotion game i i i i yeah i don't know if you're talking to me or to bridges of meaning um my my sister lives in a house that used to be used to be a local tavern used to be a farmhouse uh, its most famous owner at one point during the 1930s was a Russian Nazi. Um, he was kind of a big deal. And there are books written about this guy. And um, uh, the, the tavern was called the Russian Bear. Um, and that's this, this crazy house that my sister lives in and makes her videos from. And she, my sister decorates all the time. She's always redecorating. And my cousin is sort of that way too. And so they, they work together on that channel. My cousin, my cousin, uh, cleans houses for a living. And if you live in the, um, in the Worcester area, that's southeastern Massachusetts, and you need a cleaning lady, um, go to go, go look for my cousin, Mel. She'll do an excellent job. She also won't promote herself. Um, Hey, there's Moises. Maybe we, oh, here's our new um, here's our new leader. Uh, so Moises, um, um, greet your, greet your loyal subjects here. My loyal subjects. I thought I was just a stepdad. <laughs> you're getting, you're getting pushed up the hierarchy fast, Moises. Uh, Jordan Peterson had a big, had a big announcement this week on Joe Rogan that, you know, he's going to. I, I think he's basically starting the 21st, attempting to start the 21st century an, um, analog to the United Nations. And on the Fatarecci channel this week, there was a big announcement that um, you are no longer just a Christian Reformed minister, church planter, all the things you do, but you have now been exalted to the heights of a, of a particular organization. Tell us more about this thing that you're leading, if you can. Um... <clears throat> Well, first of all, it's not quite a thing yet. It is oh. in it's being birthed, so to speak. Um, and to a certain degree, I feel like in my mind, at least in the beginning, it's quite a bit smaller than what a lot of other people are envisioning, so to speak. You know, we had an email exchange, you and I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, me asking kind of what you thought about the whole thing. Um, and I took your response to heart when you said, you know, I don't really envision one organization to kind of encapsulate this little corner, but many organizations that spring up. Um, and through that and more talking with Jacob, it's kind of like, okay, well, what can we do to encourage that vision, that, that idea of organization? I mean, you already have channels springing up um, and doing well, Grim Grizz being uh, the most recent that I've come across. Um, so then how can we set up something that will further that, that can continue to be a hub, let's say people want to fund those type of things. How can we set something up where they don't have to worry about all the legalese of setting something up already? It's just there. Um, and so that's kind of what we want to do. It's not about like reining people in, at least not at this point. It would have to be a much bigger thing and probably somebody else would have to helm it for it to be something like that. But it's just how do I network with people and allow them to help other people that they see I'm here. And so that's okay. the gist for right now. All right. All right. Spoken as a true uh, chairman of the board, um, <laughs> understands his organization, understands his role. Um, uh, Chad, the Pope, I'm calling you Papa Mo. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jacob for a long time has, 
understood the um, the fact that most of us who are doing the the face thing on the internet are really terribly uh, inept at organization and uh, building support. And, and Jacob understands, and people don't understand this about Jacob. Jacob actually has a legal background. You know, some of these some of these people I've met, like he's got a he's got a law degree. He's running insurance now. He's getting a he's working on a therapist license. It's like, you know, I think I think Mo. I, I don't think Mo, I think uh, Jacob is sort of deep cover for the the Marxist um, educational industrial complex. <laughs> And he has come into this space to infiltrate us, and he's establishing this organization. And at some point, you know, the mole is going to explode what we've been doing. That's, you know, because Jacob's Jacob's always the one who is suspicious that you know people aren't who they say they are, that they're moles that they're coming into. Yeah, so maybe he's the real mole. That's right. It's it's sort of like the thing that the most jealous spouse is usually the one cheating, and so Jacob. The most paranoid of the members is probably the mole. Yeah. Well, he probably picked the most incompetent person to kind of <laughs> head this up if that was his goal. Um, <laughs> well, Moises, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself while I've got you here? Oh man, there's a lot about me, Paul. Um, I, I failed a lot of things. Maybe that could be like my main shtick, is I've I've been very good at not succeeding at things. Um, <laughs> Let's see. What was the first thing I failed at? Uh, I was a musician. Uh, that, that was my goal, was to be a professional musician. Um, I was in a couple of bands, a couple of hip-hop bands. Um, you don't want to move to Sacramento and play music at Living Stones? You know, I saw that, and it would be tempting if I hadn't been built up such a life for myself in the ghetto um, <laughs> here in Chicago. We have ghetto, too. Yes, we do, but it's a different ghetto. You know, <laughs> street cred goes a long way, and I have none in Sacramento. Um, and all, all of my family. I, so I've been working on this idea of late about community. Of really, you know, everybody talks about wanting community and building community. Um, but the reality of the case is that building community sucks. And so I've been working on that in, you know, East Garfield Park, Chicago, a rougher part of town. You know, on my block, I live on my block. Uh, my neighbors, I help them come. A few doors down, my parents live. My aunt, they live in a two-flat, and my aunt lives upstairs. My sister lives around the corner. We have a lot of friends. I'm always trying to talk people into moving over here. But it's the idea of, well, if I'm going to build community, how do I build community? And so I've been doing that for the last 10 years. And, yeah, I can't just get up and move to Sacramento. <laughs> oh, well. As fun as that would be. I mean, I still love doing things with music, especially church music. Um, still a passion of mine. That's probably one of the few areas uh, where me and your friend uh, Len uh, see... I don't know if it's eye to eye, but we have a lot of, there's a lot of overlap in kind of how we see uh, church music and liturgy and that kind of thing. But a lot of it stems from my work as a musician. Um, but I'm not a musician anymore. Uh, that didn't work out very well at all. Um, I was in nonprofits. I used to run a couple of Puerto Rican cultural centers. Um, didn't last long there either. It's too political. Did Jacob look at your resume for this position? Ironically enough, he did not. <laughs> um, and so he, we just started talking, and he's presenting me this idea. I'm like, wow, there is a lot of overlap in what you're looking for and what I am. And then the question just became, am I actually interested in this at all? Um, and after talking with everybody that's 
that I've talked to so far, it seems like a really interesting endeavor. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm. So then how I got to CRC, I think is interesting as well. Cause I grew up in evangelical free background, um, a Puerto Rican evangelical free background, which was like straddling the fence between non-denom and Pentecostal. Interesting. Um, went to Moody Bible Institute. Uh, that's where you my, met CW. That's where I met CW, which is one of the most interesting guys in the world. Um, he's a seriously interesting guy. Yeah. I love that guy. I mean, he, I mean, he's brilliant. Um, and just in terms of his temperament, so incredibly unique in the way that he delivers his intellect. Um, yeah. The fact that I can keep up, keep up with him is a source of pride in my life. Um, <laughs> But I went to Moody, graduated from there, and I really, really, really wanted to be a good husband and father. And again, I was on the road to failure there because nobody would want to date me. But then there was this Puerto Rican woman that I worked with that was like, you know what, can I set you up with somebody? And she was, <clears throat> at the time, this lady went to a CRC in, in name only, uh, Puerto Rican CRC church uh, in Chicago. And they happened to have just recruited a good Dutch CRC woman to lead their music ministry. Oh. And I was a musician at the time. And so she was like, oh, this would be great to set you guys up. And so she set me up on a blind date with who, is, who now is my wife. Um, oh. And that kind of opened and the door. And you made beautiful music together. I think so. Sometimes. She makes beautiful music. Every now and then she lets me help. <laughs> spoken as a wise husband <laughs> <laughs> yes T 10 years ago i may not have spoken that way um she has formed me quite a bit but a big part of it was opening the door to both reformed theology and then anglican liturgy um she worked at a christian reformed church and an anglican church at the same time but it wasn't so much that i learned like she was introducing new concepts to me it was more that Theologically, I was drifting from the EV free and non-denom way of thinking, and then when she started explaining some of the reform theology, I'm like, "Yeah, that's exactly what I'm, that's what I'm thinking." Um, and so years later, I felt called to plant a church. Um, I was like, "Okay, do I go Anglican or do I go CRC?" I know the Anglicans don't do well with, uh, at least not on, on this continent, with uh, minorities. Um, CRC seems to have a hit or miss background there, but I reached out to both the priest and the pastor. The pastor hit me up first, Pastor Roger Nelson from Hope Christian Reform Church. Oh yeah, great guy. Great yeah. guy. yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, this is exactly what our church is looking for right now. Um, went to Calvin, did some intensive training, loved it. So I'm part of that uh, Latino past new pastors in the CRC that really love so much of this denomination. I actually awesome. just had lunch last week with Consejo Latino. Yeah, um, from Southern and, California. Yeah. yeah, and we just talked about all the things that we love about this denomination um, and how weird it is that we meet so many whites in the denomination that seem to be lament so many aspects of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh. Well, wonderful. Well, that's wonderful. Well, good. Well, I'm I'm glad you popped on. Um, and... I do have a question. Okay, a, I'll let you. I'll let you jump the queue because you're a Christian Reformed pastor, and Jacob's Jacob's ladder is all about hierarchy. And all right, put you on the top, so you get the first question. Sweet. First question is, you know, I watched your video with the other two CRC pastors um, this morning, 
And one of the things that stuck out to me was the idea that it has it's been talked about in this little corner a bit, the virtual world versus the real world. Like in the virtual world, you can create this avatar for yourself and then you can be whatever you want and you can create friendships and whatnot. And then there's the real world where some of that stuff can be done too. And it's, it can be a little bit harder, but it's like, and I. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Bad. He's just, he's just revving up for the question and AT&T or Comcast or Chicago internet provider has doomed the question. Uh-oh. Is he going to be back? Is he going to be back? Oh, we've got a voice and no hey. face. Oh, are we now we're all sitting on pit. Are, 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 we're, we're, what is the question? <laughs> it's clearly the, the, the Illuminati or whoever's controlling the internet access does not want you to ask this vitally here? important question. See, oh, we lost him completely. Rick, Rick, is 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 your dog's dental care really more important than the the bridges of meaning discord question and answer? <laughs> Divine intervention with an E. <laughs> Friday morning nameless is is on the case. Rick will fix it. You're gonna you're gonna fix it from the from the waiting room of the doggy dentist while your while your poor dog is is gassed while they work on his teeth. Oh, oh, device not connected. Moises, he's trying to make it back into the room. Oh, the 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 suspense is killing me. Um, well, while Moises sorts out his... Oh, no, no, here he is again. All right, sorry about that. I think my Wi-Fi was acting up. I guess so. So, the question we've been waiting for, and it happens again. You still there? I am here. Okay. This is like a bad commercial for Comcast. <laughs> Ironically enough, I, I think I, I hear have you AT&T. on and off. Yeah, I don't really get what's happening here. Oh, there you go. So do I. Who's the guy trolling the stream? Grizz Grizz wants Grim Grizz wants to know. All right. Are you you seem a little bit more stable now? The internet Wi-Fi seem is seems on its meds. So yeah, this, let this the is question a, go. ATT messing up. So the virtual versus the real world. Um, a lot of people are having success in the virtual world right now. To a certain degree, this little corner exists, a large part of it in the virtual world. Is it a possibility that that is to the detriment of the real world? Or how do we, how do we try to make sure that it is not that? Uh, and this is something that I started thinking about after watching the video. I hadn't really thought through it before, um, but to a certain degree, I have a lot of relationships in the virtual world. I have a church plant that regularly meets with about twelve adults or ten to twelve adults. Um, so to a certain degree, I'm not doing too well in the real world there, um, but in the virtual world, I do well and. Because it's harder in the real world, right? You have to fail, and failure feels like crap in the real world. Virtual world, well, I'll just move over to another venue, so to speak. Um, and so I'm, I'm wrestling with that as an aspect. And so I was curious for your thoughts. I mean, because you have a huge following in the virtual world, 
and a dying uh, church in the real world. Yeah. That, that means I'm a grifter. There you go. <laughs> Click that one out, Grim Grizz. You got it here. Paul Vanderclay is a grifter. And everybody in Sacramento knows he's fake. And Rick is not real. Rick is a bot um, developed by my engineer son. And that's 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 the grift that I'm playing because here at the PVK channel, we're all about the dollars. So, you know, this question is interesting because if you think about what a denomination is, there's a tremendous amount of virtuality in a Christian denomination. Because what holds the Christian Reformed Church together is not fundamentally geography, even though it's the Christian Reformed Church in North America. It is something that is upper register. Okay? And, and so then the question is, the, the question of online is really much more about the medium that is sort of making, sort of enabling the virtual connectedness. Because when there's Senate of the Christian Reformed Church, delegates from all of these classes who are delegated from churches to classes, from classes to synod, that's extremely virtual because they're talking about what they have in common. And what they have in common is not the kinds of things that, let's say, a neighborhood has in common, which tends to be extremely physical. And so the physicality is the medium. And hum humanity is always a, a virtual hybrid. That, that's really what we are. So, mm -hmm. um, I, and I think a lot about this. And, you know, I think about this, I think about, I, I, I'm thinking about this a lot lately because, I mean, Living Stones is, I mean, even, even part of the, you know, plea for, for a musician um, is is just a sign of the the local church just kind of reaching its end. We can't even we can't even take care of our own music anymore. And because music's never been a defining, or has at least a, as long as I've been here, not been a defining thing about this church. I mean, I can pull out my violin, and that it may come to that. But um, so I. Can the virtual be to the detriment of the physical? Yes. And vice versa. Because I think human beings are right there where heaven and earth come together. That's, mm -hmm. that's really, in many ways, how we are unique in this created order. Um, our dogs, our cats, um, you know, our dogs and cats are about, they're, they're moving up the hierarchy towards us because they've got a lot of us in them. Um I was watching, doing some thinking and watching some videos this morning about artificial intelligence. I mean, they're they're kind of up here and less down here, but we're we're sort of filling up the space between heaven and earth between the two registers. And you know, I am I am seven years away from retirement, and it looks increasingly like Living Stones won't go the distance. Um, and so then I do a lot of thinking about, okay, what. Where, where do those things meet? And I know you, when you talk about your story, I mean, you've, especially as a sort of a bivocational church planter, I mean, you're all about this thing because if your church itself can't support you. Um, and so, you know, it could very much come down for me, the question, do I, do I sort of continue to live in this virtual world less connected to, and that, idea really bothers me or do i just say okay um i sign off on youtube and say it's been fun everyone i'm moving to chicago illinois to pastor a church that really doesn't want its pastor giving hot takes on the internet so 
But, I mean, we're running this massive experiment as a globe right now. And we don't have the answers. But it is helpful to remember that humanity is creationally. I think that's what the first chapters of Genesis are talking about when we are given dominion. We are we are given we are given the upper register. The book of Ecclesiastes, I think, talks about that when when it says that God has placed eternity in our heart because eternity is upper register mm-hmm. and uh, physicality and this you know sort of linear decay of time is lower register and we're right there in the middle. So I I think it's fundamentally human for us to be right at the nexus of heaven and earth and we'll see. I think a lot of the questions have to have more to do actually with questions of text and image. Um, because one of the things that AI is going to demonstrate is that we are highly susceptible. This is one of Verveke's points. We're highly susceptible to bullshit. We get fooled. We get suckered. We get in placed in bondage. And so all of these narratives of the gospel, I think, are not going away. And, and we're just going to see them continue to scale with the challenges we face today. That's how Jacob got me to take on this role. I'm remarkably susceptible to bullshit. I'm sure it wasn't yet. <laughs> <laughs> Given the deep bull play that Jacob is after. So, yep, yep. So... I, I actually, I think a ton about this. I think a ton about this, mm-hmm. Mo. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, there is it does, the, the helpful framework of this dance between heaven and hell, between the virtual and the physical. Well, heaven um, and earth, not heaven and hell. Hell. I mean, not heaven, heaven earth. <laughs> Although, depending on where you live on earth. Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I do think that that's helpful to think of it in that way as you need both. And then how, I mean, I. I go back to dance because I, I know how to dance. Um, I don't know. You're probably the only Christian reform minister that knows how to dance, <laughs> but keep going. Uh, but when you dance like salsa, you know, there's a lead or even swing. There's a lead yep. and there's a follow. Um, yep. And if you have, if there, you can't, two leads, it doesn't work. Right. Um, two follows, it doesn't work. You need to have the dance. There's this tension. Um, and the, the tension between the lead and the follow is going to be different with every pair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's helpful how you explained it. All right. Well, I should um, I should get into the questions lest um, those people who have put questions in the middle of January get discouraged that their <laughs> go questions it. go unanswered. So Moises, great talking to you. Um, hope your Wi-Fi is better. Yes, and I'll be watching. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Um, who asked a little bit? I am taking the questions from. The Bridges of Meaning, short questions for PVK section. There's a few that were left in the middle of January that I don't know how to answer. So I see Valerie. Valerie, I see you in the room. I don't know if uh, your questions are coming up a little bit later. I don't know if we should jump the queue or not, but uh, we'll see. Um, And like I said, Rick is at the doggy dentist with Wiley. And, um, you know, Wiley's very important to Rick. So, you know... um, Dental care is important. Just go ahead and try and eat a meal without teeth. I've watched many people try. Uh, doesn't work so well. Value your teeth. They're important. 
So NTP in the Bridges of Meaning Discord. Oh, I can. Oh, 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 I, I. Oh, let's see. Let's uh, share screen. That's what we want. Don't show these tips again. There it is. Okay, here we go. Calvinism is to Newtonian physics as blank is to quantum physics. That's a really interesting question. I've I read some of these questions before, and I still don't have an answer. But I like the question. And I like the question because I do believe God continues to, Sam says, my baby can eat without teeth. This is why I can't, I'm, I am going to move, I'm going to move to the private chat. And um, Valerie says, no rush, I can wait. Good. I'm going to keep that chat on because if I look at the other chat, I will be distracted. Calvinism is to Newtonian physics as blank is to quantum physics. Hmm. I'm going to continue to ponder that one. So thank you for the question, even if I don't have an answer. But he has three questions. So are there theological propositions or practice within a faith, Christian, Jewish, etc.? that we grasp and use, but are nested in higher orders of realities that we are slowly grasping more and more. That's a really complex question because you have to sort of understand what you mean by higher order realities. It is the case. And, you know, one of the first things I grabbed from Jordan Peterson, I can play around with, uh, my virtual size with respect to the questions and answers. Doesn't that make for nice? Um, yeah, you know, Jacob, I, I I kid Jacob, I troll Jacob, I do all this stuff with Jacob, but you know, he's not dumb. He uh, he leads me to good things. So here we are in uh, StreamYard. One of the first things I grabbed from Jordan Peterson was the high resolution, low resolution thing. And the puppets there remind me that I made a video because Jordan Peterson did a took some of the Joe Rogan podcast and put it on his channel. I thought, woohoo, I can now do some comment on the Joe Rogan podcast. So I have an hour and 10 minute video that I did with commentary on that 17 minutes from the Joe Rogan podcast and YouTube blocked it. Um, cautionary tale for me. But one of the first things I grabbed from Joe from Jordan Peterson was the high resolution to low resolution thing. And the more I think about it, it, it is the case that by virtue of combinatorial explosiveness and the limitations, both um, both the, the limitations that we have in engaging with the world, it is it is I think very true that we work at varying levels of resolution and over time, if we grow in capacities, we see more and more. And I think that's basically what um, spiritual growth is about. And the and that's why the systems that we use, the frameworks that we use, um, you know, the, the, the faith tradition we're in, et cetera, et cetera, is vitally important because in that way we can sort of grow up into our, 
our heads. And I don't mean our physical heads. I mean the heads of our hierarchies. Um, and then sometimes we switch hierarchies. You know, you might have been a Calvinist or a Lutheran, and then you follow Jacob, and you're you're really excited about that that covenant of Noah. And you say, "Wow, I, I'm all about the covenant of Noah, uh, rainbows and uh, meat eating. That's me." So, but we do these 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 hierarchies do matter. But part of what we have in as the world is increasingly interconnected, and this has happened obviously through the development of written text, the development of the printing press, the development of the reproduction of speech and the um, the recording and saving of speech of, and now the internet is just massively exploding that, is so, and, and, and globalization, there is so much interconnectedness at levels below our capacity to consciously engage them, that this stuff is just um, exploding at an incredible rate and getting beyond our capacity to sort of consciously track it. You know, this morning, so I um, I caught a little bit of Grim Grizz's live stream and James Lindsay um, is out there, you know, running around terrified of Gnosticism, and Mark is um, making intimations that uh, Verveke is Gnostic. And the difficulty that you have is that with upper and lower register stuff, Gnosticism is like pure upper register. Um, Nazism is like pure lower register. And and again, the sweet spot is where heaven and earth meet. That's That's the human location. So... I'm not sure I'm gonna. I, I follow. I find it uh, enormously ironic that James Lindsay, formerly a new atheist, is now a regular speaker at conservative reformed gatherings. Now, a lot of Orthodox people are going to say, "See, see, I told you." Fair enough. But your question, NTP, about high and low resolution—that's basically what I see it as. Yep, there's something there. NTP again the next day um, and the next morning. He must have slept on it and said, I know what I really want to ask Paul. When I was playing soccer in a private Christian school, ooh, good, you know, a little bit of Randall's disclosure there. I love it. In a private Christian school against other Christian schools, both teams would pray before the game that the Lord would send a thunderstorm and smite the other team. No. Uh, that they would play on Mount Carmel and fire would come from heaven. That's basically a thunderstorm and smite the other team. Nope. You can see the way my brain works. It's terribly distracting. I, I really must do a lot of meditation and calm down this monkey mind. When I was playing soccer in private Christian school against other Christian schools, both teams would pray before the game, asking for blessings and health to perform at our best for victory. That's a good prayer. Read um, Lincoln's second inaugural. Um, it was the same when Christian Protestant USA was at war with Orthodox Christian Russia. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that scales, and that 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 sort of picks up on the inherent. Going back to your second question, some some universalistic, and I don't mean that in terms of universalism versus eternal conscious torment, which I think is a terrible new fabrication of um, 
trying to understand hell. But uh, yeah, yeah, we that that's inherent with with all prayer. Um, but prayer is a good way to conceptualize of prayer is asking the king. Now, hopefully, if the king is wise, and Christians obviously believe our God is, the king will do what's in the best interest of ourselves and the world with however the king puts that together. So part of prayer is certainly, you know, asking for your wants and your needs, and that's legitimate. Dennis Prager talks about that in the Exodus seminar, how he, you know, how he, he's only asked twice for anything personal. Well, fair enough. Um, but look at the Lord's prayer. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So first we acknowledge who God is and who we are. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's God, that God's will, that heaven and earth be synced, that the, the two registers come together as they should be. And in some ways, the story of the Bible is the, the story of the two registers. So, all right. Michigan man, Sam. Well, that's not our Sam. Um, has the self-help in, I, nothing against you, Michigan man, Sam. There's a lot of Sams. Um, I, I just, it's not Sam Adams, uh, Sam transfigured, Sam, the heretic, Sam, the Sam, the man in Chicago, all of these, all of these words for Sam. Now I got to go to the comments and see if, uh, oh, I, I got to turn off the comments. I'm such a wreck. Um, has the self-help industry undermined wisdom traditions? The self-help industry is an attempt at facilitating wisdom. But, you know, it, this is terribly difficult because on one hand, it's easy to be antithetical and either say the uh, market forces are God or market forces are the devil. Self-help industry has a lot of market forces about it, which means that um, there can be a lot of there can be a lot of bullshit integrated into it. In other words, you just have to ask the question: Why does everyone? Why is everyone on TV so darn good looking? Unless they have another skill, and then how then does that? Um, how then does that mess with our filters by which we are always taking in these patterns and making judgments and informed by them at sort of a deeply emotional way, not terribly conscious way. So the fact that you can have a lot of self-help stuff, which is just total BS because it's playing on our biases and our desires. Yeah. And, and the fact that in all likelihood, some of the most popular self-help books will be some of the most deceiving because all they are is a projection of the already um, deceptive biases that are built within us. But again, all of these biases are double-edged. For example, um, men are attracted to attractive-looking women. They're looking at body proportions. They're looking at hair. Uh, women, to a degree, are doing that with men. But again, men and women are working on different hierarchies and on and on and on. So if you're running a self-help movement for men, 
you can have some ideas about, well, isn't, isn't pickup artistry all self-help stuff in a way? And it just, but, but because the world is so complex and nuanced, it's so easily subject to corruption. But fundamentally, the book of Proverbs is a self-help book for men. And that's some of the distinction between wisdom literature and, let's say, the Law and the Prophets in the Old Testament. And um, so, so yes, self-help industry is definitely related to wisdom, but it is in many ways market-driven. And again, the market, the market will tell you some things, but it's awfully hard to know what it's saying. So there's a lot, there's a lot of at least implicit discussion about how someone like Benny Hinn undermines the supernatural claims of the gospel. Interesting. There's virtually no discussion, though, about how people like Dr. Lar and Phil might subvert Ecclesiastes or Proverbs. Great point. Michigan man, Sam, excellent question. Excellent point. Um, you've now, by virtue of your excellent question, Michigan man, Sam, is higher up on the hierarchy than my... Um, Initial impression of um, Sam not transfigured, but Michigan man Sam, see, you asked a good question. Boom, up on the hierarchy, voted up on, on in my internal Reddit in my Consciousness Congress. Is a society which puts something un, other than divinity, say freedom, as in the American context, viable in the long term? Okay. Um, The relationship is, where does freedom, how is freedom most appropriately ranked in the hierarchy of values of divinity? And that's really what the discussion is. And you have to ask, so I, I this morning, I was, I was all over the map in terms of stuff I was listening to. The video I should have made yesterday instead of the one that got blocked was I did some, I'm planning to do some commentary on Jordan Peterson's talk that he gave in Israel. And I listened to a little bit of um, Ben Shapiro's talk before that. And I listened to a little bit of the question and answer after. And there was really a very good question asked to Ben Shapiro about freedom. And Ben Shapiro's a smart guy. He, he really is. Um, whether or not you like what he does on YouTube for a living, um, he's a very smart guy and I have, I like the Ben Shapiro that I hear when he's not doing his shtick on YouTube. I like a lot better than the Ben Shapiro I watch doing his shtick on YouTube. Anyway, this question of freedom is a very complex one. And part of the complexity of these questions is that there's a looseness in the definition of freedom. I should probably make myself a little bigger when I'm using hand signals. There's a looseness in the definition of freedom. And divinity, from our perspective, is also quite loose. That one of, one of the ways, for example, Calvinism, a little movement. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, sort of near and dear to my heart. Uh, Calvinism, in many ways, ranks freedom, or at least some definitions of it, very highly. 
because Calvinism emphasizes the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God is another fancy word of talking about the freedom of God. Sovereignty is freedom and authority together in many ways. So discussions about the value of freedom are all in some ways discussions about divinity. In, in Jordan Peterson's talk with, oh gosh, where was that? This is the problem. I listen to enough and then I can't necessarily locate it. Jordan Peterson talks at one point about how in some ways everything at the at the all um anything way at the oh, okay it's in it's in the 7th it's at the end of episode 7 of the Exodus seminar. It's a really interesting discussion where I almost put it in a video except of course I'm monkeying around with what I'm going to do with all of the restrictions that YouTube has. Um Jordan Peterson basically says you get to a certain point and you're just up there in the divine realm. And I don't mean that physically and I don't mean that necessarily spiritually. He means that psychologically and linguistically that once you get to absolutes, you're sort of already in the divine realm. And depending on what you think of as freedom, that can sort of be a window into the divine realm, into divinity. And, and the fact that you use divinity instead of God also says something because divinity is more a category. God is sort of a category. The Lord is a name. So there's a lot of complexity to this. So freedom, freedom is a value and it's a powerful value if it's constructed well. And in many ways, it's served well in the American system. In that question and answer after the Jordan Peterson Ben Shapiro thing in Israel, you know, Ben Shapiro sort of did a lot of uh, contextualizing of freedom. Some of the ideas uh, that, you know, for example, the neocons in the uh, early 2000s had that if you just get rid of Saddam Hussein, then that freedom will inherently yield flourishing. That's actually, it's actually a rather Nazi idea. If you read Timothy Snyder's Black Earth and you go through at least some of his theories about what Nazism is about, it, it's sort of a hyper-naturalism. And, and, and Ben Shapiro walks that back and talks about the fact that there's a lot of, there's a lot of formation that has to go until someone is able to really handle freedom, power, authority, responsibility. To, to quote Jacob Federici's fame, most favorite Christian, Martin Luther, a lot of Martin Luther's thinking about what happens in the age to come, being able, um, able to sin, but not sinning, is a part of what a part of what hopefully we will get out of this world of struggle and pain now in other words it's it's sort of like the addict or sort of like the alcoholic that goes into a 12 step program and now has achieved sobriety 
and is quite not perfectly, and this raises tons of interesting eschatological questions and questions about the age to come, doesn't drink because he doesn't want that life anymore. And he has now developed the disciplines and the habits and the character and the formation that this individual is no longer susceptible to the temptation of alcohol. That's a goal of something like Alcoholics Anonymous. And Martin Luther talks in some terms about that's a goal of the Christian life now that we will at some point look at sin and say, no, thank you. So in that sense, C.S. Lewis writes about this in Screwtape Letters. At that sense, you can understand divinity through the lens of freedom. You can do that. And, you know, I think in a deep way, Calvinism was deeply formative of American culture. Uh, pilgrims, Calvinists. Puritans, Calvinists. Most English um, secessionists at that period that America was colonized, Calvinists. And so Calvinism is deeply foundational to American understandings of freedom. And so it's the sovereignty of God. And if you can think of, let's say, theosis in a Calvinist framework, it is God growing us up into the kind of freedom that God enjoys and blesses creation with. So you can run that language through freedom. Is it viable in the long term? Well, obviously, uh, some of these ways of thinking say it's most viable and it's eternal. And eternal is very long term. Or must a hierarchy of values necessarily place God at the top in order to survive? God is always at the top of the hierarchy of values. But my point in this is that you can understand God at the top through a variety of values. And that's why, let's say, the three transcendents, goodness, beauty, and truth, you can understand God at the top. You can understand God as truth. You can understand God as beauty. You can understand God as goodness. You can understand God as freedom. Going back to the first question, because we, our resolution is always limited. That's another way of understanding combinatorial explosiveness. All of these transcendentals are bigger than us. So in a way, when we're looking up to God through one, it is very difficult for us to distinguish between God and the transcendental value we're looking at him through. There's a way to think about it. Great question. All right. Nicano save. Question for Paul. In relation to the video with the French-Canadian bass player, I love it when we get questions from the channel like this. I understand the point of my church is my people. This is a good question. I read this one already. It's a point that's often missed that religion creates identity. It's not like changing clothes depending on taste or character. 
like it's often portrayed in today's secular society. But didn't Jesus say that he didn't come to bring peace but the sword? Yes, he did say that. That he came to put son against father? Yes, he did say that. I feel this position needs some pushback. I love it when people push back and push back in a in a good, smart, thoughtful, biblical way makes my Calvinist heart warm, my Protestant heart warm. Either I'm not understanding something or Jesus denies us and this position quite a lot. But he also asserts the family in a different way as he often does. I myself have been in a Catholic have been a Catholic all my life. It's essentially my tribe, but I can't just stay inside even though I want to. That may very well be true. I don't know what to do though. I'm certain, but I'm certain um, of what's not a real option, and that's just to say to stay inside the tribe. Oh, what a what you know th- th- this is a wonderful question because the question has lots of layers to it because it's got a personal layer and it's got a theoretical layer and you're bringing all the layers together and you're saying, you know, I hear Vanderclay out there and Vanderclay because he's a, a screen of light and because he's in some ways operating in this strange YouTube place as an ideal of sorts. Vanderclay says to, to go Orthodox or Catholic would be a very Protestant move for him. And Vanderclay plans on staying Christian Reformed because Christian Reformed are his people. And he backs this up with, with citations of the gospel. And so I'll do the same and note that the Gedarene demoniac, who was, of course, living among the tombs and they couldn't keep chains on him, they couldn't keep clothes on him, and everybody's afraid. Jesus goes to this area around the Sea of Galilee that is not particularly Jewish, and um, Jesus comes upon this guy, and Jesus casts out the demons, and the demons don't want to go. They're legion, and so where can we go? Go into those pigs. (laughs) These stories just go down and down and down. There's no bottom to them. So go into these pigs and they go into the pigs and the pigs drown themselves. And then he's sane. And, and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to get in that boat and I want to cross the sea of Galilee and I'm going to go live in a Jewish neighborhood. And I'm going to, I'm going to be, I want to be one of your disciples. And even if I can't be one of the 12, I just want to be near you, Jesus, because you have, you have saved me from torment and torture. And I love you. And I want to devote my life to you. And Jesus says, go back to your people and tell them what God did for you. I'll heighten your question because there's other times when Jesus calls someone and they say, no, I've got to bury my father. No, I've got to do this. No, I've got to do that. Jesus says the parable of the wedding banquet. And Jesus says, anyone who's not willing to leave father or mother or tribe or or anything on my sake is not worthy of me. So, you know, your question is excellent. And this all comes down to the question of what is Jesus calling you to do? They might say, well, isn't that sort of my question? Yeah, it is. And we all will stand before the judgment throne of God and answer for 
the decisions we made with respect to the questions that we have had to face. And so it could very well be that when I stand before God's throne, God says, I sent you, I sent you Father DeYoung, who left that terrible branch of Christianity called Calvinism and the Christian Reformed Church. He left. Why not you? God might say that to me. Um, God might say, I sent you Hank. Hank got the heck out of those at evangelical fold and, and went into the, the blessed church of Rome. And 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 he trolled you and nagged you to, to finally come to your senses and join the Church of Rome. And you didn't do it. He could say, you know, I sent Sam. You know, this Sunday I got to preach. The, the, you know, broad is the path that leads to destruction. Well, there, there's hardly any fewer things around than those, those biblical Unitarians now. Um, I sent you Sam. I sent you Sam. You know, you love Sam. Sam is smart. Sam is a great guy. Um, you know, I sent you Sam to show you the light of biblical Unitarianism. And you didn't follow. All that I risk by staying where I'm staying and doing what I'm doing. And that is the consequence of freedom. But what I have to do is follow that lamb wherever he goes. And to the best of my knowledge, what I believe God is calling me to do is to is to con continue where I'm at, at least for now. And as I said to, to Mo at the beginning, um, I don't know, you know, what the future holds. I don't know how, you know, we we could, I, I, I because of what I put on Twitter, some hotshot musician could come into Living Stones and every time that musician plays, you know, Heaven comes down and glory fills everyone's soul. And suddenly this church that has been laboring under my poor leadership for 25 years explodes into the, the most important megachurch in Sacramento. And suddenly, um, you know, I remember Rick Warren saying that, you know, he was doing all of his church stuff and then he brought in the right musician and suddenly his church exploded. Yeah, but the musician doesn't get all the money for the Purpose Driven Life book series. Um the world is this way and each of us each of us have to go to god and lay our hearts before him and and say lead me guide me um, there's a song that that was a closing song at northside chapel growing up lead me guide me along the way lord if you lead me i cannot stray that's what we have to do so um Nico, follow follow Jesus. Follow that Lamb wherever He goes. And if that if He is leading you out of the Roman Catholic Church into another place, go. He calls Abraham out of Ur into Canaan. Uh, Jordan Peterson, God 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 is the Spirit that calls you out from from your home into adventure. And God has called me out of my complacent small church. I, I, never been real complacent. I've always been a little bit restless. Um, into YouTube land, and here we are. And so if, you know, it, it might be that God calls me into full-time internet ministry, 
Um, if Living Stones just goes belly up, or maybe there'll be some other arrangement, or 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 I have no idea, but God is sovereign, Jesus is Lord, and follow that lamb wherever he goes. So your your pushback is is good. And I just have to say that um however God judges me, he will, and his judgments will be right. But I have to to the best that I can follow his leading and his will now. And so, and you have to do the same. Michael Sartori, another guy who that's so many musicians out there that can't move to Sacramento. Yeah, see, we all got to follow who knows what God is doing. Individuals can't be accused of violating the 10th commandment unless their covetousness results in the breaking of another external viable commandment. Interesting observation. Advancements in surveillance, AI, and other data-driven systems could lay bare the inner desires of even the most outwardly disciplined individuals. Oh, absolutely. While many people are fighting against these encroachments on our privacy, how should Christians respond to the possibility of God allowing these totalitarian systems to gain the type of control that we are seeking? What a good question, Michael. It's always the same answer. You follow that lamb wherever he goes. And you you flee sin. And you embrace Christ. One of the one of the most one of the coolest things I've got it on my Twitter moniker right now. Um, when Paul in Galatians lays out the fruit of the Spirit, he says, Against such things there is no law. When you think about that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In some ways, that list of nine, if you do them, will always get you into trouble of one sort or another. I mean, Peterson likes to preach this radical truthism that, you know, tell the truth and take your lumps. Fair enough. But there's also, so that's one aspect, that's one reality. The other is that in the most dictatorial, tyrannical, bloodthirsty, um, genocidal regime, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the worst regime you can imagine values those things. What's with that? Because the dictators hate traitors even though dictators are in some ways traitors towards God. But they themselves hate traitors. And this is part of the reason that evil finally can never win or construct or build because it doesn't scale. Evil always is reliant upon good to do its evil. The Neoplatonists try to get at that in, in some some ways of thinking. Um, Augustine, of course, dabbled in some of that. Um, but that's a reality about evil. It it can't finally stand because it breaks down. Because you can't construct a hierarchy. You can't if it's you can construct a tyranny based on fear, but you can't construct a tier, you can't construct a world based on love. Evil can't do it. 
goodness can. And that's why God wins. Goodness wins. Evil is in some ways parasitic. And it, um, and it depends on the good that it, that it itself undermines. So you're right. It's a great, it's a great, um, it's great insight into the 10th commandment and Christians should practice goodness. And you know, you, you see that in the book of Daniel. So Daniel, after the Persians take over, Daniel is praying and uh, he's, you know, they passed a law, the book of Daniel and has all these um, stupid potentates passing stupid laws that they themselves can't get out of. Just very interesting. But um, we should live the life and none of us do. And we're all subject to um, critique or criticism or condemnation, rightly or wrongly. But um, no, you're right, Michael. Zeldin recently tweeted, that's Kale. What today's youth need most is to hear unspoken truths which are considered modern heresies. I think I agree with him. What would you say the top five or ten most needed but unspoken truths are and who would be able to speak them so today's youth would be able to hear. Well, I think that's you know one of the big things that Jordan Peterson is doing. He is speaking unspoken truths that um, you know, and there's all kinds of them right now. And and in fact, so much of the of today's there's always a counterculture. So in some ways, the counterculture of the '60s has become the hegemony of of today. Thank you, boomers. Um, they might say, well, how old are you, Vander Clay? I'm just, I'm just at the cusp. A whole bunch of us are just sort of at the cusp. Born in the born in the early 60s, not quite boomer, not quite Xer. We're right in the middle. There's all sorts of them. Um, you know, men and women are different. You can't so easily escape your physicality. I mean, there's just all over the place right now. And, um, but that's, that's always true. And, and, and part of it is because we, every new regime that comes to power overreaches. There's a, there's a, there's an awkward truth, especially if you're in the new regime that's coming to power, you will overreach. In some ways, that's a way to understand, you know, some of the symbolism behind Satan. Satan overreaches. You see it in the you see it in the temptations in the wilderness, the temptations of Jesus. He overreaches. You know, Jesus, bow down and worship me. There's an overreach. And it's our downfall is usually in our overreach. But you know, the question about why won't I leave the Christian Reformed Church, you're challenging me and say, Paul, maybe you're underreaching. Fair enough. Um there's overreach and there's underreach. Getting it exactly right very, very rare, only by God's grace. Valerie, woohoo! Here we go, Valerie. I'm letting you in the room. All right. You don't have your camera on. That's okay. Can I? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I apologize. I'm going to be mysterious, like Esther, and not, you know, you, show my you face. You just be mysterious all you want. I'm totally good with that. All right, here we go. Your question. 
Did you know there's a conspiracy in the writing server to raise money for your ministry by publishing an anthology about community? I knew that there was they were putting together a a picture book. Is this different from the picture book? Yes, this is different. Oh. Would you, Vendank or Esther? Esther meaning um Bethel McGrew? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know how to spell a name. <laughs> <laughs> be willing to submit a piece on estuary for it what kind of a piece would you like um i was hoping we could actually explain it like you do in your videos um okay. to so people can take the idea outside the jordan peterson realm and okay. run with it and this whole the whole book was um an idea of jordan um and he thought he thought of the idea of community because that's important to you and important to us as bridges of meaning. And we thought, let's try to get as many different perspectives on community, both fiction and nonfiction. And, uh, but we, if we're going to do it to support you, we want to have something in there about the uh, estuary and kind of promote that idea out there to the general public. Very cool. Um, yeah, this is all great news. I am now making a copy of this. So I can find it later. Um, what I do know about myself is that um, I need reminding because I forget things. Okay. I'm. I think Vendank. I Vendank would definitely be down for something like this. Um, this is this is right up uh, Vendank's um, alley. Uh, Esther, who knows? I don't know. Esther. Esther's usually a light touch. She can be. Uh, she can be colonized. Um, yeah. So. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. And I see you have a video link there too. Yep. Jordan did an explanation video. Um, and it's a little dry, but it has all the information and the links in it. And then if for anybody who can't see the, uh, get to that link off of Discord, you can just go to my my website and um, the ValerieFlynn.com. And I have all the links and information and the video right there for people. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. So yes, this sounds awesome. Cool. And awesome. um if you need any help contacting the Vendank or or the McGrew, let me know. And okay. I think because part, I mean, you guys are right in that. I mean, I've I think about this often. I've been doing a lot of video content for the last five years, and I find that super helpful for me. But writing is different from video and mm -hmm. different in a lot of different ways and so yeah no i'm very interested so yep um you have my email address i i believe i do yes it's pretty easy to figure out yeah yep yep um, i think i have i sent you an email a long time ago and it was just like resources and stuff but you okay. get flooded with so many emails so i didn't that's the problem i don't always yeah. see everything i'll try to call it the anthology community conspiracy or something like that Hopefully oh i like it yeah Yep. <laughs> yeah. Throw, throw conspiracy in there and you'll have uh, Jacob and Grimm eating out of your hands. Mm. So, um, you know, free it, people who really like conspiracies are, are easy to colonize. They're just oh. uh, chaotic and erratic once you once you once you have them colonized. So. All um, right. I Anything would else, like, Valerie? Um, I would like uh, to take you up on your offer to help reach John Van Donk and or uh, Bethel. Okay. So um, we can coordinate that either Discord or email. Probably email is better for you, right? 
send me an email and with with um, CCing anyone else you want involved in that, and then I will send one out to John and uh, Bethel, and we'll uh, we'll get that underway. I think I think I think I think Bethel would be interested in something like this. Cool. I did send an email to Sher uh, Sherry, the artist, okay. uh, with the art group. I haven't heard back from her yet. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, if there's anybody else who's a writer out there or an artist who would like to submit artwork for it or help us with the cover, that would be awesome. All the details of how to volunteer are on my website or in the video link. I've got another recommendation for, for a contributor for this. Oh, yes. He's been on my channel once, but he, gosh, I should have him on every week because he's he's that good. Uh, Rod Hugan, he's the pastor in Tucson, nice. wonderful writer, and he he is all about community. And uh, yeah, that's that, we want as many different people as we can get, so okay. that'd be awesome. You yes. probably hit up Mo too, who was just on at the beginning, because Mo Mo obviously has a deep heart for community and a lot of experience with community, and um, that's what he's passionate about. So cool. Awesome. Yeah, we'll include all of those people. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Valerie. Wonderful. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Okay. See you later. See you later. Okay. So ooh, something's in the works. I just have to be disciplined enough to sit down and write. Part of the part of the problem of YouTube is that it is uh, part of the reason I got into. I, I hate to edit. I should probably do. I should probably do. Um, uh, Peterson's essay thing and make me a little bit more disciplined writer. All right. <laughs> Grim Grizz, do you side with Verveke for friendship or Lindsay for non-dualism? You know, I thought that was, that was interesting. And Grizz, I thought your definition of dualism and, and non-dualism was, was interesting because Part of the difficulty with this whole non-dual thing is that there are so many dualities <laughs> that when people talk about there their, their being non-dual, it's hard to know exactly which non-duality they're pointing to. But you're right that a really foundational one is, is the question of the relationship between the creator and the creation and certain traditions. I mean, this came up a lot in my um, in my talk with Raj, and it was very interesting to have Luke and Grail Country. Um, I mean, because Grail Country and Luke are sort of in there with the um, less duality on this spectrum part of this little corner, and. There are others, you know, there's there's a reason that, um, you know, someone like Jacob doesn't get along with someone like Nate. There's a lot of reasons. Um, but part of it is this. So um, I my tradition tends to be a little bit harder. The the line between um, between creator and creation you know, as I've listened to, I was listening to Hank and Hank and Sam talk about Constantine the last couple of days. You guys, there's so many good people in this little corner, so worthwhile listening to. But I, I was thinking about Sam's 
biblical Unitarianism. And part of what's behind, I think, a lot of these Unitarians is, is this, in fact, the, the amount of how, how even to talk about this, how thick the line is between creator and creation. And then I was listening to Verveke talk to uh, the bishop. Boy, what an interesting talk. Uh, energies and essence. And that was a good talk. I haven't finished it I'm about two thirds of the way through, but I was just gripped by it. Thing is, I get gripped by something and then I got to go do something and then I get gripped by something else. I'm a light touch. It's terrible. So that is in many ways a big part of this conversation. And it's a, it's an ongoing debate. And so when, you know, when I think, you know, someone like Sam from Transfigured has problems with saying things like Jesus is God and Jacob has problems with hearing things like Jesus is God. A lot of that has to do with the conceptualization of God that has to do with this question of, of duality in terms of the dualism between creator and creation. And so when you have Raj who basically is much more over on sort of the Hindu side of things where you have, you know, you, so you have pantheism and then you have panentheism with which Luke always wants to get me to say, um, now, and even more than say it. So, and, and so a lot of the question, a lot of the, the interesting stuff with these, um, Eastern, this with this Eastern tradition has that, which, but, but again, these things are so complex because on one hand, Jacob gets all excited about these, these Orthodox people, even though if he were paying attention to this, this particular aspect of duality, uh, he might sort of recoil back because, yeah, a lot of these um, Unitarians, that's that's really what a lot of the fight is about. So um, I, I, I love John and James each in their own special way, Grizz. Nathan McCormick, what's the difference between an authority and showing your one? Hmm. And what is the proper path of integration between seen as and being an authority? Well, you're right in the question in that authority is something that is recognized often more than asserted. Jesus, of course, is a real interesting case because nobody claims more authority than him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. You know, again, I, I, I said this often. People are like, well, I don't really know if Jesus walked on water. Oh, okay. What about the end of Matthew? Authority in heaven and earth has been given to me? That's <laughs> it's, it's just a jaw-dropping statement. And so when, you know, if Jacob comes around and says, oh, I, I really like Jesus because he's clearly very Jewish, but you know, kvetching at that statement. I get it. I get it. It's, it's, it's an audacious claim. Yet at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, people were really drawn to Jesus because he taught as one with authority. And that, that gets into, in some ways, the, the early question here we had about, um, 
about higher order realities. People saw something in Jesus that spoke to them. And, and, and now that isn't infallible or inerrant. Um, I'm sure people... Um, it, lately, Jordan and other people have been making the the commentary that especially young women, and I think it's also true of young men, get confused between confidence and competence. In other words, if someone sounds very confident, people sort of imagine they are competent. And, and I think part of the reason for that confusion is self-confidence. Um, and we sort of signal if someone is very dogmatic, this is part of the reason dogmatisms of various stripes flourish in social media. If someone is confident, self-confident, speaks dogmatically, there's a degree to which audiences are drawn to them and authority is intimated by that confidence. True authority is, of course, always seen in competence. That's closer to the definition of authority because, in a sense, in a story, the author, if competent, is fully authoritative about the story. Given the fact that we are all sub-creators and, and the, the one creator is, of course, the one that has full authority. So I think that's sort of at the bottom of your question that we get confused. Confidence and competence gets confused easily with us. And um, that's why the more layers of reality that get engaged, the, the more easily authority is seen. Are they competent in doing what they are doing? And that is judged at many levels of analysis. Chad the Alcoholic is the seemingly ferocious desire to demand belief by some Christians towards non-believers a theological thing or an idolatry or both. It can be an idolatry. Now, by asking a theological thing, I'm not sure exactly what you're asking. Is it Jesus demanded of his followers? There is nothing wrong in making a demand. The question is, do you have the authority to back up that demand? Do you have the competence to be true with that demand? It can be just a function of tribal idolatry. It can be an expression of fear. And, and this, again, is where Jesus is very interesting in that he had skin in the game. I was talking to someone recently who has to make a decision with respect to a particular church. And the, the, um, the leader of that church is, is suggesting to this person that this person must make rather extreme and potentially consequential life changes in order to be a full-fledged member of that church. And it's tough because this person has been looking for uh, transformation for a very long time. My, and they were asking me about how to figure out 
whether or not to believe this person, whether or not this person is, in a sense, speaking for God, whether or not this person has authority. And my response to this person was, how much skin in the game does this leader have? In other words, this leader is asking you to put a great many things in jeopardy to follow this path. Will that person put themselves in jeopardy, in the same jeopardy they are asking you to walk into? And, and this is exactly the Jesus test, because Jesus doesn't ask anything of us that he himself does not, not only commit to, but go further into. And that is why the Jesus story is archetypal, because Peterson points this out again. He's betrayed into death. He's risen into life. Um, I mean, it's, and and that's, that's part of the reason why, let's say, I'll go back to, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous is just a terrific example, fount of sermon illustrations. The reason AA has authority is because the other people in that room can look at the alcoholic right in the eye and say, I've been where you are, and I am no longer there, and I followed this path, and I will not only tell you that it can be taken, but I will walk with you out of it. There's authority. Jonathan Peugeot, in a con conversation with what's his, uh, Sam Glenn, I've clipped this a number of times, it's on my Vanderclips channel, Talks about authority. What is authority? It is the teacher that is both demanding but also loving. It's the teacher that walks with the student. That teacher has authority so that when the student stumbles and suffers, the teacher suffers with them. There's authority because those are all signals that the person, the person is competent, they know, and they have skin in the game. That's authority. So, someone who makes demands, do they have skin in the game? Or are they a small, fearful, tribal creature that is insecure in their tribe and needs the validation of your switching sides in order to feel just marginally better? But that person will, at some point, need more and more and more and more people to flip over into their tribe to keep getting that little marginally feeling better hit. That versus the person that is has authority. Great question, Chad. Nathaniel, what are your thoughts on pseudonymity, particularly as it relates to Peterson's chats on the dark tribe behavior? I think Peterson has a point. I think, I think, and I think this is sort of what Peterson is saying. I think pseudonymity or anonymity is a 10% case. I think it should be 90% um, as much skin in the game as possible, which means my channel has my legal name. I don't have a lot of pseudonyms. There are times and places, you know, Bethel McGrew had Esther O'Reilly. Um, Grim Grizz has a name that was assigned to him at birth. 
Um, and, and there's been a long line of pseudonyms used throughout history, and they have their time and place. But I think it's kind of a 10% case, I think, or a 20% case. I think 80%. When I, when I chose to, I have almost always used my, almost always, I've always used my real name in my, my Twitter feed is Paul Vanderclay. Um, so I, I've gone that way because I want to engage as much as me as possible in what I'm doing because I think it will be better. So Ivan, you've, uh, you've jumped in the, you've jumped in the stream. Did you want to, um, did you want to come on? Just, you can just put it in the private chat. Oops. I, that, that must mean a no. All right. You can just stay there. That's fine. I just want to, if someone wants to engage a question, they can pop in and let me know. And if you do pop in, the link is in the Bridges of Meaning Q&A section. Um, just leave me a little note in the private chat here in here in StreamYard. There's both the comments with 151 that I have not looked at because you will distract my attention. And then the private chat. Um, thought everyone was here. Nope, everyone is in lots of different places. And we're not in actually the Discord because, again, um, Wiley is having his teeth cleaned. And um, so Rick is there attending to Wiley because Wiley needs Rick. He really does. Wiley's a fine dog. All right. Uh, uh, Wesley and Whitefield, um, who I met in Northern Ireland. Wonderful guy. So, so cool to meet him. Hi, Paul. Steven Spielberg was on BBC's um, Desert Island Discs show recently and he said he regretted the impact jaws had on the shark population <laughs> it was the second biggest grossing film of the 1970s the third was the exorcist have you seen it i've never watched the exorcist my wife doesn't like scary movies so uh and i'm not really i'm not a particular fan of the genre so if i want to watch a movie like that I got to watch it by myself and that's never as much fun as watching something with my wife because if I'm watching it by myself, I just have me to talk about. It's, it's better to not be alone, even virtually not alone. And there are places to be virtually not alone. And you can have pseudonyms in your virtually not alone space. How about that? Uh, so what would you think? Uh, so what did you think of it? I didn't watch it. Do you have any thoughts on the legacy um, for good or for ill? I remember my seminary professor, Neil Plantinga, one of the best professors I had, um, noting that the book, The Exorcist, was really very good and the movie wasn't any good. So if I was going to get into it, I'd probably read the book. Now, Neil Plantinga was, he loved literature and he he was, he's, a, he's an amazing writer for a theologian. He hasn't written much. I wish, I don't know why. Um, when I saw Neil last, I... I asked him, I said, you know, what are you working on? And, you know, he wants to write books about the age to come and the afterlife and dying and some of those things. And I think, great. The world needs more books written by Neil Plantinga because he's um, not the way it's supposed to be. A breviary of sin is, you know, the book that I have that's either on my shelf or it's over in the other room. People have asked about what's, what, what's the deal with the empty spaces on your shelves? Yet another unfinished PVK project because he's way too ADHD for his own good. 
There's the answer. And I know uh, Philip S., it really bothers him because he keeps making comments on my video. What's the, the empty bookshelf? Ah! So haven't seen it. I think it's hilarious what Steven Spielberg said about Jaws. Unintended consequences. Amazing. All right. To go back to your original answer with regards to the freedom and different ways of accessing God at the top of the hierarchy, you often say that the Lockean worldview was erroneous and that we have to overcome it. The Lockean worldview is limited and that we and we are moving past it. That's pretty much what's happening. Of course, you limit this to epistemics. But to balance the statement and to redeem the value of John Locke, do you have any comments on his letter on tolerance? Um, haven't read it. Um, Locke, of course, is a deep, I mean, when Jeff, Thomas Jefferson is writing the Declaration of Independence, he's just copying Locke in a lot of ways. As it is highly inspired by Christian arguments. Locke was a Christian. I see a lot of stuff to unpack, and it might be good to make comment on this because we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. No. I We have a recession on modernity, but it is by no means going all the way away. Second question. I very much like the way you approach politics, but in my humble opinion, this little corner, especially the discord, is a lot about veneration and part and the part about veneration and the participatory. But I feel that the problem of having different ways to access God at the top of the hierarchy makes it necessary to discuss the topic of freedom as a distinct value from politics. Those listening will note that I just said, nodded my head, thought, yeah, that's the problem of being on video versus getting the audio-only version. Uh, th those of you who complain about internet ads, I knocked down a lot of the YouTube ads. Um, you would not believe the number of, I guess you probably would believe because I think most channels just leave them up. You, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Sorry to interrupt this question with some um, frustrations about YouTube. I, I think right now about the only way to really enjoy YouTube is YouTube Premium which means you basically pay for it. You can use an ad blocker, which cuts out all the ads. You can also watch all of my content on Odyssey, ad-free. Odyssey is sort of this um, this uh, this alternative video channel. There's another one that I found recently that I was thought of mirroring um, mirroring my, my channel too. But right now it's on Odyssey and the link to that is in the notes below, generally speaking. So, and, and the audio version doesn't have any ads either. So, um, but there, there are you know, obviously way more ads in my videos now than before I monetized. But part of the reason I monetized was that Google, I, Google is going to monetize videos when it wants, whether or not you're monetized. And if it monetizes your video and you're unmonetized, they're getting paid, but they're always getting paid anyway. So. Anyway, back to the question about John Locke and freedom. This this is the this is the trouble with long questions because I get distracted halfway through and you might not even get your question answered. Brevity has value. Do you see any hope for the implementation of this kind of topic as another sphere of our discussion? 
because I have often the impression that people, especially those who are great fans of Peugeot, are, are like people who are happy to participate in praising God and going to church while looking while looking outside of the window, seeing that the world is burning and then turning around to further praise God. <laughs> you can you can praise God in church while the world burns or you can watch Netflix while the world burns or you can lie drunk on your sofa while the world burns or you can play video games while the world burns or but point taken. <laughs> I think that this whole discussion about participation leads to the situation that we neglect the fundamental sphere, which is necessary for the function of our society and for our everyday human conduct. Peter, um, it's a great question. And it's a question I think about a ton. Because what I've been thinking about a lot lately, and the video that I should have been posted this morning, but I didn't have time to make yesterday. Maybe I'll have time to make it today for Monday. I don't know. Is when I made that video on the myth of mental illness and I noted how mental illness goes all the way up and down the hierarchy, so do all of these things. You're quite right that politics is important and inescapable. If someone is not addressing directly addressing political applications of ideas. It doesn't mean, A, that they think it's unimportant, or B, that they don't have ideas about it. It might also be because, A, they don't believe it's germane to what we're talking about now. B, they believe religion is always and politics is now. And C, they have very little confidence that Direct political exhortation in the moment and context it is getting will in any way change the behavior or influence the people, and that a better game is to actually influence the religion and let the politics, the, the political application, make the long turn. This is analogous to what therapists often do in, let's say, psychotherapy. Because people's behaviors are downstream from their bigger constructs. And something like psychotherapy or religion tries to work with the bigger constructs in order to um, eventually get downstream into particular applications. It's not dissimilar to give a man a fish and he eats for today. Teach a man to teach a man to fish and he'll live for a lifetime. He'll eat for a lifetime because, you know, let's just use what Ben Shapiro does on Daily Wire, you know, political hot takes, yada, 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 yada. Everybody's got their little political hot takes out there. Everybody's got their, in the Christian Reformed Church right now, I remember, um, Another CRC pastor wrote, a retired pastor wrote a couple of blog points about um, what's going on in the Christian Reformed Church. And I basically uh, wrote a blog post that said, no, um, this is, you should pay attention over here, not over there. And he wrote me an email and basically said, I need to know right now where you stand on this. 
Why? So let's say you want to impact in the, let's say in the United States sphere, the presidential presidential election coming up in 2024, you want to know if you're going to vote for Democrat or Republican. All right. That's next year. What about the congressional races? What about the county and local races? What about What about all of this? I mean, the whole purpose behind political parties is to not lock in one vote, but to lock in a lifetime of votes. The whole reason that commercial interests target children at an increasingly young age is the same observation made by a particular Christian man who said, give me them until they're six years old and I'll have them for life. It's not that politics are unimportant. It's that if you try to control the low important end of the spectrum, the application will be fleeting. One of my biggest weaknesses as a preacher is one of the hardest things in preaching, which is application. A lot of people would be way happier if I focused on application. Go to Christian YouTube. Listen to what they are saying and doing. Fair enough. People like quick answers and promised results. I'm more skeptical. But... You know, my, if you notice that there's, I've always got all these different threads on my channel. One of the threads is this question about um, positive, neutral, negative world, politics and religion now. It does connect up the hierarchy. It does. And that's part of the reason I find what's going on right now the video that got blocked by YouTube this morning, but it's basically about Peterson's, um, you know, new United Nations, post-national United Nations. I find that fascinating because we all, politics is part of the stack. It just is. And we have to make decisions. And it's it can it can be a dodge to to live out in thinky talky land and never do anything in the real world, but there's a Gnostic dodge. So yeah. Trap a skunk. Well, end of questions today. How are we doing for time? Yeah. You know, Rick, you're going to have to, well, I don't even know if Rick's in the comments because I turned him off. Uh, just wanting to know how Wiley is. How's Wiley, Rick? Let us know how Wiley's teeth are. Wiley's feeling better if he's I told Rick he has to make a video of Wiley just you know coming out of from the anesthesia to uh you know remember that viral video of the kid in the car seat in the back of the minivan who just gets back from the dentist and um anyway turn off the chat again trap a skunk my question for Paul there are two points in the Old Testament I have never heard discussed Ooh. one is that Eve does not have a name until after the fall. Ha, 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 ha. 
The second is that humans do not eat animals until after the flood, and apparently before this time, animals were not afraid of humans. <laughs> Can you elucidate these two points further? I have found no information discussing them. Oh, they get discussed, whether that's um, information that's easy. You know, it's there's a lot of information out there on the internet. It's just difficult to surface, which is, of course, why Google got what they got. Let's see. Let's open up the uh, the trusty Bible software. Doom, 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 doom. It's a massive logos program, which is actually a database of lots and lots of. All right. Let's close all and let's go. Genesis. Now the Lord formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever he named each living creature, what, what was his name? So man gave names to all livestock, birds, the sky, and the wild animals. Now, this is a big this is a big deal in the Christian Reformed Church during the wars over women in church office that lasted about 20 years. These passages were fiercely fought over, and this naming business has as sort of a token of authority. Was, was one of the battlefields. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the woman's ribs, one of the man's ribs, little footnote, took part of the man's side. The NIV is trying to keep up with the times. And closed up, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib, and he was taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Is Adam naming her? I'm sure Jacob Federici has some ideas on this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother is united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And then you have the fall and then Adam throws the woman under the bus and then there's the curses and, um, and then 20, Adam named his wife Eve. So you have the difference between called and named. Oh, yeah, this has been discussed. This has been discussed. You can go into the Acts of Synod in the late, in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s and read report after report after report that debates all of this as to the uh, where male and female stand on the hierarchy in the prelapsarian garden. Oh, yes, there's there's very little in the Bible that has not been well trod. Second is that humans do not eat animals until after the flood. Well, let's go to this covenant of Noah. And the boat or the ark, they get out of the ark. Um, 
Noah builds an altar to the Lord. Oh, God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the create, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number in it to fulfill the mandate that was given earlier in the story. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. Wouldn't want to leave them on the ark. So the animals and all creatures that moved along the ground and all the birds, every, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, good thing you had more than two, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Don't tell Jacob. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his son saying, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth. And all the birds of the sky and every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish of the sea, they are given to you into your hands. Everything that moves and lives and moves about will be food for you. Now, it's probably a good idea that if we're going to eat the animals, they're a little afraid of us. Otherwise, they'd be too easy to catch. And, well, you already know what the first inhabitants of North America did to all of those large Ice Age mammals in North America. They're all gone. No horse, no giant sloth, no saber-toothed tiger. Gone. So, yeah, it's probably a good thing that they're running away from us because uh, we have a taste for meat. Uh there is there there are you can find questions about just about everything in the Bible. What's amazing is is well, just biblical commentaries. It's just it it can just be hard to find sometimes. So, yeah. So those are the two things. I hope that was instructive and helpful. Um. All right. I am going to anybody who wants from the Bridges of Meaning Discord to come into the chat and talk. Um, you can come into the channel. I am going to copy this into the comments. Um. Uh, on the live stream. So anybody that wants to come in can start making their way in now. Um, Matthias M. Nielsen, when will you make a vid when will you make a video series Peterson Viveki style to explain symbolism and other good stuff? And maybe Peugeot on as a guest. I really need this in my life to fully understand and appreciate the faith. Mark. <laughs> Can't get enough of the internet, can you, Mark? I'll let you in in a minute. <laughs> there, I've had many requests for a much more ordered YouTube channel. The, the channel is sort of the shape of what I need it for selfishly which is y'all are my, I got to get it 
correct because James corrected me. Y'all are my third lobe. Y'all are my the extension of my consciousness congress. And so I sort of follow the muse. And um, I follow what's going on in the zeitgeist and I do that. Now, if you want something a little more programmed, follow the church channel. Every week there's a sermon and a Sunday school class just about. And that's in a much more programmed way. And so in other words, if if this became my full-time job, there might be more structured, agenda-driven things. Um, but given that this sort of makes up the things I'm interested in and the things I'm chewing on mentally, that's why it's the way it is. You know, there's a lot of, and I've done my share of it too, you know, consternation about paywalls and things. But, and I actually think at this point, if uh, Jordan, I, I'm not surprised they're going to put the Exodus seminar outside the paywall. I figure they always would. Whether or not I'll be able to comment on it freely, like I can on Jordan's channel, I don't know. Because what I learned from my um, blocked video yesterday is that, yeah, if, uh, if YouTube doesn't want you commenting on it, they can, you know, they can, they can get you. So, but one of the things that let's say a structured, and this is, you know, Jacob's right with this and Mark to a degree too, but he's, he's sitting there eating there. I can see him just chewing away. Oh, <laughs> um, if you want something structured and organized, it requires it requires a, a, usually a degree of sacrifice on both parts. Um, if people in my church didn't tithe and give at the level that they did, I couldn't do this channel. Uh, they're remarkably generous. So if I do something more organized, it'll probably be something that requires, especially at my scale, um, you know, some subscription and thing. And, you know, I talked about pay to play with PVK. I'm probably not going to implement that as such, but I, there are, there are patrons on my Patreon who support me every month. And, you know, the, the Patreon is about the same as the, um, as the, the, the Google, the YouTube monetization and together they're not, you know, they, they don't in any way compete against my church salary. Not that my church salary is large, but anybody who's ever monetized anything on YouTube knows that unless you have really big numbers, the money isn't huge. So, um, yeah, some of that stuff might have to wait till retirement or if uh, Living Stones goes under, then if this becomes my full-time job, then I will probably have more content that that deals with things. Now, the other question, and I get this a fair amount about symbolism. Symbolism is everywhere. <laughs> One of the things that Peugeot is particularly good at is, is Peugeot, both Peugeot brothers working a certain thread that is very helpful for illuminating what we need as we exit modernity. But symbol, symbolism is in some ways just metaphor and any kind of thinking or engagement we do now is deeply metaphorical. 
So it's just all around us. And, you know, part of, because Peugeot is so good at illuminating connections with the Bible and reality, that sort of gets everybody excited about symbolism as such, but it's pervasive anyway. So it's sort of like people being excited about music because they hear a good musician. Uh, you can have bad symbolism too. <laughs> and, and you won't be anywhere near as excited about it. So great question. All right. Guess what? The, um, the, the question answer time is done. Mark has finished up his, his snack or his lunch. And here he is the guy from navigating patterns. Um, often on a live stream, I heard, I heard, I heard that you did a live stream longer than three hours. I did. Well, I did one yesterday longer than three hours, Paul. And, and yeah, I, I heard did that seven that, hour one. I heard how many hours? Seven. Well, you're in that into Adam friended territory. I had I had all these lovely people, and they all gave me energy. And so it's like if you had asked me before that, how long is the live stream going to be? I'm like, ah, I can't go much more than two hours, but. Uh, Apparently, y'all are y'all are building up your endurance. So I I was listening to the Grim Grizz this morning. So I am looking forward to the final showdown. Final, or maybe not final, but the big showdown. Gnostic Vervakiism called out by Lindsay and his anti-Gnostic. So, wow. Yeah. Lindsay strikes me as a truther about the Gnosticism thing. Like he just found out about it. So he's like, oh my God, everybody. There's been this secret thing running underneath the scenes the whole time. You should know about it. <laughs> oh my we God. talked about yesterday, actually, on the live stream with right? Nick. With right? Nick. I saw Nick. I saw Nick and I thought, gosh, I gotta, I gotta have Nick on the channel again. Nick is such a treasure. He's no, he's mine. You can't have him. Actually, he uh, he hosted one of your one of these, right? He so did. He did. Already been privileged. The great fella. Better than better than you, Paul. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> he did a great job with Verveki. Yeah, it was fantastic. He did. He did. No, Nick's awesome. All right, so y'all are I, here. What, I had, I had to be fair in your Patreon and navigating patterns. Um, Our upcoming stream on my channel, I guess. We haven't scheduled yet because of things, but but it's we're gonna do it on community, right, Mark? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me when you when you want to do that. We'll we'll definitely do it. I can't wait. Yeah, it's a sometime after next week we'll schedule. I got next okay. week's booked. So all right, all right. So I want to hear from you guys. Thoughts on Peterson's big announcement of the Peterson post national United Nations. Let's hear it. I my video was blocked. I had an hour that's, of content that I have to throw away. That's tough. That's uh, I don't think you have to throw it away. I think you just ask somebody and maybe you can get it pushed through. I, I'm of two minds because on the one hand, I don't think they should fight against that. I think they should ignore it, not engage. And on the other but hand, what about the WEF and oh. their plans? And, you know, cause that's what it is. I mean, it's it stated as a, we're going to fight against the WEF. And I'm like, yeah. I, they're just a bunch of, you know, clowns with too much money who, if you ignore them, might actually go away, right? So, you know, it, it right, if you fight it too much, it, it becomes real. That that can happen. But on the other hand, 
And uh, my buddy Jefferson said this on Clubhouse the other day when I was talking about it. He's like, well, on the other hand, I'm glad someone's doing something about it and pointing it out. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, there's a point there, right? There's a point. So it's like, hmm, you know, what what does that mean for, for everything? Because there is merit to saying, no, 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 those are bad ideas, right? This is part of Jacob's point, right? Like, yeah, sometimes you got to call out stupidity and bad ideas and, you know, people who don't understand. And, and the Gnosticism is everywhere. Lane, Lindsay's doing a great job. He did a negation of reality talk, and I forget where it was because it was some conference. And uh, it was fantastic. It was really, really good. It was really tight. It was a tight. The first 35 minutes are tough because he repeats himself 9 million times. And I, and I actually think he's wrong. And I did a video on navigating patterns about, about this, right? What looks like Gnosticism is just the same thing being rediscovered over and over again because it's inevitable when you're solipsistic and trapped inside your head that you're going to run into the Gnostic idea is just going to occur to you. And then you're going to go back and read Hegel or Marx or whoever. Lindsay lists a bunch of them in the uh, negation of reality talk. And, and then you go, ah, see, if people see it, therefore I must be smart. And I'm as smart as those people. That's what's going on. It's nonsense. It's crazy talk. Anyway. James Lindsay, Monica, James Lindsay, who was one of the hoaxers. Um, and we'll be on uh, with Benjamin Boyce today at two, as somebody told me in my live stream. Yeah. Or two for he's, me. He's, yeah. he's off and on with Boyce. He, he it's Lindsay and uh, Carl Benjamin, Sargon of Akkad. Yeah, Sargon of Akkad. So. It's going to be a good uh, stream, yeah. So and in case you don't know, Sargon of Akkad is like a guy who was apparently Moses before Moses. So like he's also an Internet guy now, but the original fella. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to address your your WEF question and yes. um, but uh, uh, regarding the uh, Lindsay talk that, that Mark just mentioned, I did a distillate of the good parts. Uh, the it first was very helpful of the to half me. hour, and that's on the stream. Over you have to look under the live streams to find a lot of my stuff. Instead, yeah, of that's video. and that's too bad. I don't like the way YouTube does that. Live streams often don't sort of get elevated the way that. The other videos are but uh in that he goes hard against hegel as being one of these narcissism people and if you've heard of, i don't know if you've heard of it or not but there's this thing they call a hegelian dialectic where like you have one bunch of idiots say like go way too far with stuff you kind you want and then you put up another one that like is a against them and then they come to some synthesis some kind of compromise and you're closer to what the first people wanted and that's my initial impression of what peterson's doing with this anti-wef thing is establishing a hegelian dialectic that'll actually lead us closer to what the wef wants um and yeah so that's that's my you know but i'm a I, I know there's a thing called controlled opposition and I, I, I'm paranoid that that's what's going on. So these are the angles I see about those sort of things. Hmm. Well, it's, it's so Cyprian who I forget his name. He was, he's been on my channel. He's been on Peugeot's channel. Um, he used to be a, an escort, a male escort. And he got oh, the Bitcoin guy, Bitcoin. I've got his book. Yeah. Um, so he he lives in Saipan. He he just he just laid into Peugeot on Twitter over this, and because um, because then because uh, Jonathan had a you know took a Jonathan's going up the hierarchy and he had a picture with uh, Guy Ritchie, 
on Twitter. And so, you know, all it's that they're all getting sucked into the world, to the, to the Illuminati. They're, they, they're hate all... success. they hate people hate success, especially when they, when it, when it contrasts their failure. And then they're like, oh, successful people are all bad because I'm not successful. I guarantee you if the roles were switched, they would, they would be perfectly fine. So Pajot's moving up by hanging out with Guy Ritchie, who, if I'm not wrong, married Madonna, who's into the yep. Kabbalah. And and him, that's moving up? That might be why, <laughs> why they're not married anymore, too. Like, a lot of people miss it kind of matters what happens in the middle, you know? Like... <laughs> Like order of operation matters. Like Madonna's, you know, Madonna, but she's still, you know, whatever. And then she gets into a cult and then she gets divorced. Oh, well, that's a good thing. Like, you know, I, I, I do like his take on suits. I do. Uh, and then his movies. But I just watched, I recently watched a Guy Ritchie movie. I didn't know it was a Guy Ritchie movie. And then um, I forget what movie it was. I guess that says something about the movie because can't think of the name. Can't even think about what it was. If it was a really good movie, I'd remember. So, mm -hmm. good well, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is a yeah. fantabulous hit. Yep, yep, that's one of his. That's one of his. All right, anything else you guys want to bring up into our consciousness? I think uh, the Gnosticism is a big deal. I, I I commented in the in the stream. So what happened, Paul, was uh, Father Eric, who who was just visiting me for a week, uh, he he pinged me and he said, um. Does he have hey, you going to church yet? No. The Catholics. No, no, no. The Catholics aren't going to get me. That, that's not going to happen. I, he did give me this book, though, which is fantastic. Like, you absolutely have to read it. Like, it is right up our alley. Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age. Interesting. All right. I'm not finished with it at all. And I'm already like, this is the best book ever. This is fantastic. It's it's right up our alley. Yeah, but it's very Christian, so I can't understand half of it. That's okay. I'm not too worried about it. But he, he pinged me and he said, are you listening to Vanderclay? I'm like, I didn't see a notification from Vanderclay. What's going on? And then, I, you know, you you mentioned me and Gnosticism and all that. And I said, yeah, I have time for Vanderclown today. I got, I got shopping to do. So Vanderclown. Did you hear that too? I caught that also. I caught that oh, yeah. too. Oh, I've got lots of, of Vander, Vander nicknames. Vander Nicks. <laughs> There's a ton of Vander Nicks. I just pull them out whenever I need them. Uh, poor Jared. I thought I, I thought he was going to kill himself when I when I said uh, Vander Squirrel. And he almost felt he fell on the floor. Like he was just like done. I was like, oh, that was funnier than I thought then. Okay. But, uh, you know, I went to the store and I'm thinking about this while I'm shopping. And I'm like, oh, this Gnosticism seems to be like this neutral position in the world. And I get it. Like, sure, we're not doing anything bad. Right. And so we're moving away from the bad. And in a binary world, that must mean we're doing the good. And I think that is the problem. Like that is the problem we're identifying. And then it's very focused on experience. And Ethan, man, Ethan, oh, he comes up with the best stuff. The assumption of, we'll say a good Christian, is being is good. The assumption of some of these other people is emergence is good. And I was like, that's, that's dead on. That's exactly what they're doing. They're saying emergence is good. You listen to John's work. Emergence is good. Emergence is good. Emergence is good. He never, I mean, he says emanation and then he moves right back to emergence, right? Oh, but he's, but he's, you know, deep into Neoplatonism and Neoplatonism is all about emanation. Neo, well, well, it is and it isn't. Neoplatonism is about the one and the many. It's about the obvious observation that it's very hard to identify what objects are and where they begin and end. 
and that and that identifying that is difficult. Yeah, no kidding. That's all this alleged Neoplatonism says. I, I keep looking into this. Okay, first of all, John's already admitted we're on third wave Neoplatonism. Okay, what? Wait a minute. What's wrong with first wave and where is it? What's wrong with second wave and where is it? And what is the third wave thing? And this is where James Lindsay comes in. Is that is that right? like third wave uh, feminism? Is that the 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 connection? I assume so because they're all postmoderns and lying about it. You're you're just using postmodern tools and lying about it. Just, all right, all right. Well, let me hear. Let's hear Grizz. Well, that the whole take that Gnosticism is a neutral position about moving away from the bad is ridiculous to me because my understanding of Gnosticism is that existence is that we're in a soul trap created by Sophia's abortion and Sophia's wisdom. And if wisdom has an abortion that makes this world, then it's wisdom. So it's clearly for, in the best service of the Lord that she does so. And that it's, that Gnosticism is neutral doesn't make any sense to me. So No, they're treating it as, it, it, well, it is neutral. They're treating it as though it, it is the good state because it's not the bad state. Because they're binary thinkers. They, they only, it's the Sam Harris, if I move away from the bad, I must be doing the good. And that's all I need. And then I never need to define the good or move towards it. Or struggle towards it, for example. That's that's, yeah, that's not Gnosticism to me. I mean, Gnosticism no, it leads to Gnosticism. is life it, is You inevitably end up at Gnosticism when you do that. That's why Neoplatonism is dangerous because it says the same thing. We can move away from the away from the the things that are bad towards the good, and it's like there is no good definition in the Neoplatonism that everybody's referenced. I still don't think Neoplatonism exists. I think they keep using that term and they're not referencing anything. They're just you know and and the talk that John did, which I'm not done with, with the uh, with the Orthodox uh, priest there, that was amazing because he he basically said it's also not Aristotle, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, because my buddy Dr. Lantern Jack, and he did that talk with Pravecki a while back about AI, the Matrix, and Plato's Cave, which is an excellent talk. He, you know, he was like Plato and Aristotle don't actually have a disagreement at all. Like it's it's an overstated thing to say that you pick one or the other. Like he was his student after all. It's it's a little crazy. They they did have disagreements, but they weren't fundamental. Like it wasn't it was like Aristotle was saying the forms don't exist. It, that that didn't happen. So I don't know where the where this uh, where this uh, animosity towards Aristotle comes from from the Platonists. But Neoplatonism, I still can't get a definition out of anybody. Neopythagoreanism is where it's at. Paul, I got a, I got a, um, I, I was listening to that Lindsay talk and I had some, I had some questions that resulted it, from it because like the way he spoke of it kicked up some uh, uh, sayings of Jesus to mind. Like he's like, they're bad because they, they end up thinking they are God. And then we got things like Jesus saying, uh, if you had enough faith, you could command that mountain to move. And that smells a little like Godhood to me. And then I've also heard um, Jesus said things along the lines like, uh, like Satan is the ruler of the world. And those sound pretty Gnostic, according to the way Lindsay's speaking about Gnosticism to me. The question, there's, there's a lot of questions about what on earth we're talking about when we're talking about Gnosticism. 
my best understanding of Gnosticism tends to be, um, generally speaking, that sort of um, heaven and earth move away from each other. Heaven is good, earth is bad. You've and this, and then you've got let's say two competing creator gods. Uh, it's taken a lot of different forms. It used to be. It used to be a while ago. Oh no, we got somebody else coming in here. Um, <laughs> it used to be a while ago that when I was in seminary back 40 years ago, Gnosticism, they sort of had a definition for Gnosticism. And the more that they continue to unearth stuff and read texts, the, the less certain they are that this is actually a coherent thing and much more sort of a, a, a bias, a, a, a docetic, which means an, a, a, an immaterial bias but it takes lots of different forms and you know so so many things like you know the devil is the, the satan is the ruler of this world you, if you say that in the wrong way it um it sounds contradictory like i thought god was supposed to rule the world well it all depends on what you mean by the world and if you read for example the gospel of john there's like three different competing definitions of world right there in that one text you know, when Jesus says for the most famous verse of the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world. Well, what world is he talking about? Is he talking about this world that is ruled by the devil or is he talking about his creation? So it's it it's it, what I find amazing about the trajectory of James Lindsay is, in fact, the trajectory of James Lindsay, that he starts out as sort of a nicer uh, anti-theist and has turned into a go-to guy for conservative Christians who want to fight the woke wars. And it's like, how far is he away from just being a Christian? I don't know, but I would imagine not very far, but a certain kind of Christian. Oh, Jacob says no. Jacob says no. Okay, I was not going to join, and I have things to do, and I'm not going to stay long. I just wanted to say, A, I had a discussion with Byrne uh, like two years ago now, on Gnosticism, highly recommend it. Um, second, uh, yeah, there's no way. J James Lindsay is nowhere close to becoming a Christian. Um, and I'm sorry, you guys just have this all completely wrong because you, you don't want to spend all the hours it takes to do the homework to understand what's going on. And James has done it for us. So if we just listen to him and believe him, I didn't say listen to him and believe him. I said do your homework. Who's I hope it happens. Well, go ahead. Grim first and then Mark. I hope it happens that, like, whatever James is bringing out in front of everybody becomes part of the discussion because a lot of what he's talking about is exactly how I thought I could be of service to the estuary movement because that's the salt water that most Christians aren't ready to handle at all. Yeah. Like the existence of these sorts of other competing secret initiative societies and stuff. So that I think it will level up the game of the Christians who can stay Christian in this time where I think the church is going to be crucified coming soon. Um, I agree with all that. I, I think what Jacob's pointing to, and, and hopefully he's not pointing at Grim or I when he, with that last statement, because I, I don't think that we have fair. Nate he, applauding Jacob. We have I, Mark. I mean, love look, is just 
busting out all over here right now. Look, Paul, one of the observations I was making uh, the other day was I think part of your problem, so I'll go after you, uh, I'll I'll love everybody else. How's that? Uh, You have to forgive me anyway, so it's a good bet. So, So I think you're just keep putting things in either a Christian frame or a political frame. And it's like, and, and to Grimm's point, like there are other frames that people are using. And if the Christians don't get onto that and kind of figure it out, it's a problem. And, and I can see why if you're fighting against Gnosticism, because I do think Gnosticism is coming from the solipsism from this whole, like I think it emerged, like you, you will come to Hegel's conclusions, no matter how dumb you are, if you're trapped within yourself. Vanderlove, oh, I like that. Uh, <laughs> Right. And I think that 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 looks a lot like Christianity because you're resisting Gnosticism and you're in the dominion. Right. To to invoke Tom Holland. And then that's the and that's the issue. And no, I can't name the frames. There's an economic frame people are using. There's a weird frame I've just discovered called ignore all women as a way of ignoring creation. So you're talking about your father and how you're beholden to your father's father and then your son, you'll be his father and his father. Literally, somebody said this on, on the Discord, and I was just like, I can't even follow what you're saying, and you're only using like four words. This is a bad this is a bad sign, right? But these people get caught in this thing, but it's not like they're that close. And I actually have this, this image that part of the problem is people are like, there's Paul Vanderclay at the top of this staircase. And every stair on the staircase is an axiom, okay? And then Paul's looking down at Verveke. And what he sees is Verveke is two steps away from the top and he's reaching out his hand. He's almost got Verveke. Okay. But actually, if if third party observer, Verveke's at the bottom of the staircase. And the first stair on the staircase, and uh, this is subject to change, obviously, I came up with this like four days ago, right? The first stair on the staircase is being is good. And and I don't think Verveke's even at that core axiom. And that's part of the problem. You I see him at the top of the staircase, yes. and he's at the bottom. I asked him that directly, and he pretty much affirmed it. He 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 doesn't talk that way. The first time he was asked that question, it took him two minutes to answer, and it should take you two seconds to. It may take Mark, you two minutes to explain, but you Mark, answer that's first. John too. Mark, yeah, you you make fun of Squirrel Vanderplay for not uh, for having ADHD, but you you're you're pretty ADHD yourself. Uh, this whole, uh, this whole staircase not, metaphor. Okay, Grizz, go ahead. This Thanks whole staircase these. metaphor reminded me that, like, when I was growing up, I would watch like the Sesame Street, and they would have have these. They show like four things, and they'd be like, "One of these things is not like the other. One of these things does not belong." And I'm sitting here looking at the stream, and based on the hair, I think that's me. So have a great day, everybody. Paul, Paul, Paul let me tell you something. Uh, go back to the one where the one person's big. Yeah, how do I do that? How do I yeah. get the one person? How do I get you big? You just drag, uh, drag it over. Yeah. Ah. Te- teaching people StreamYard has become like my, my thing now. That's, well, that's what a good I thing. That's a good thing. Because, oh, well, look at that. We all oh, get a turn. You're gonna have Sam joining soon, so. Oh, is he? Is he coming in? That's that's what that's what he he seems to uh, want to do. Uh, See, the problem is, I could just do this all day, and uh, and I can't. Time. I have to leave. So uh, it was. Why, nice why is it always the same ones of us on these things? Uh, some people, some people are more extroverted than others. 
which is one of the reasons why I do the thing where I tell certain people like Mark, you're only allowed three hours. Whereas I tell other, I sit there sometimes with nobody on and I just sit there quietly until people feel like they have to join. Does Mark sit in the bottom and just knock on, Jacob, let me on, Jacob, let me on. No. Threat he, no, he has admin privileges anyway. He can, he can come on to my thing anyway. Uh, this, this is one of the stupid things I do is I give people like Mark and Sam admin privileges, and then Sam kicks me off my own channel. <laughs> I saw that. That was fun. That was fun. So, All right, Sam is here. What say you, Sam? Um, I don't know. Where are we talking about? Did you did you watch my live stream? You got mentioned a lot today. So. I did hear you. I, I heard you mention me a lot. I was in and out. I watched maybe half of it. Um, but um, yeah. So when are you when are you having Mo, uh, Mo on your channel, Sam? I'll I'll have Mo on my channel soon. What do you want me and Mo to talk about? I mean, I see Mo relatively regularly. I feel like you forget that. You like no, I don't forget that at all. Mo, I'm like so. I, I so was, people people <laughs> ask me like. How'd you decide on Mo? And I'm, it's like, I didn't decide on Mo. He's a CRC pastor that worked for Hank and is a good friend with CW and with Sam. It's like, why why didn't this guy jump forward? Why didn't some people uh -huh, uh -huh, <laughs> just point at him out? Like, I, I actually thought, I thought, you got to know from me, you got to know from Josiah, Mo is going to be the next one because Mo is the only other CRC pastor he knows. I don't you know why mentioned Mo, and that's when I reached out to him. Yeah, you I did mention him because I thought yes. he might he might go for it. Be part of it because of the Chicago group has always had, you know, early on Sam and Hank talked about an organization, and I sort of put him off. This is before the pandemic, and so I thought, yeah, Mo might be the right guy. Actually. Yeah, when when you did that, Sam was talking about an organization, and I I distinctly remember telling him I think it's too early. <laughs> I I now agree that it it was probably too early back then. Um, but yeah, Mo's great. I mean, I I had Mo moderate Bethel and, and Paul when during for the Chicago conversation because I thought he would do a better job than me, and so. I, you know, I'm, I'm, you don't need to convince me to be a Mo booster. Um, so I, start boosting Mo. Sam. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to get Mo in trouble, but Mo, the other meetup said that I could take communion at his church if I were to come. So I might uh, go down to uh, his, don't, don't get him in trouble for that, Paul. Um, Ooh, go, might go down to his sad. church. Although his, his church is in one of those neighborhoods that, when Mufasa, when Mufasa is taking around the Simbas in the Chicago land and says, hey, don't go to those shadowy places, you know, don't go to these bad neighborhoods in Chicago. Most church is like legit 100% in the yeah. hood. Yeah. Like not even like some people think all of Chicago is the hood and that's not true. Paul, Paul is, but, is the but, Synod, is, is synod going to kneel on the avenue Mo now because he... <laughs> No, Mo knows that he is an asset in the CRC because he is a Puerto Rican minority. He can get away with anything. And so he keeps being brought in for things as like a 
diversity person, even though he like hates the fact that he gets brought in as a diversity person. Token. But he sort of trolls that role that he can play. Like South Park. Token. Yeah. I love the, it. The, when I when I heard about uh, when I heard about his l latest church crimes and he mentioned these things to me, I was like, okay, this guy's perfect. It, it's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> He was uh he was in like some sort of um like Latino hip hop band that almost made it big once. So he is a man of diverse he, skills. He, oh, he he uh he he uh what 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 do they call that when you play before a band? Um an opener. Yeah, he opened for Gnarls Barkley. And I was like, sounds crazy to me. I remember when I lost my mind. <laughs> You you guys know that song, right? Yes, yeah, I, I got okay. the reference. Yeah. Oh, you gotta I, I remember you, when. I remember when. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta. Oh, that 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 song could be my uh, my theme song. Yeah. So, what do you guys think of Jordan Peterson as Constantine? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I I think that. So I know Paul that my my stats tell me that you and a bunch of other people recently watched my Constantine video, and I think in that video I talked about how. Constantine sort of, he was, he was a Christian kind of, but he was sort of the sort of person who thought that Christianity and paganism could actually get along in almost like a perennialist kind of fashion, right? Like there was some deeper truth that they were, that they both shared kind of thing. And that, you know, they were different uh, legs of the elephant of the eternal true thing. Um, I think that that was sort of more of the Christian that, that um, Constantine was. And and that makes sense, right? I mean, who would the first, what, what else would you expect the first Christian Roman emperor to look like other than someone who kind of was comfortable synthesizing and holding both identities together in sort of a unified tension? Now, Jacob, you're smiling because I often agree with you, right? I'm not a, I, I do think that Constantine, that, that one effect of this was a certain paganization of Christianity, right? Well uh, but but I and I I do I am perfectly fine to criticize Constantine for that, but I think that that Peterson is a little bit similar, and that Peterson has sort of a perennialist vibe to him that that isn't often talked about, and that he you know he loves talking about Christianity a lot, but he'll talk about the logos at Ephesus or he'll talk about any myth that you want him to talk about because he can Jungian archetype. Right. Like when you get really hyper platonic and you think that all these things are just manifestations of the same archetypes, it doesn't matter if it's a Christian manifestation or a Hindu manifestation or a Jungian manifestation. You know, like the Lion King is just as uh, just as archetypal as the Bible. And so that that that's part of and I think that Constantine actually had a very similar and, and we might not think that there could be a coexisting sort of pagan Christian emperor back, you know, 1700 years ago. But I, I think that that actually was intellectually possible for a very similar reason in that, uh, that Constantine was very, very platonic. And that, that's the difference, right? Is no emanation because the difference between that and the Christian idea is the emanation from above. It's the thing that Oz Guinness went after Peterson for in episode eight of the uh, Exodus series where uh, Peugeot stepped in, and, and I actually have a clip of it. Uh, Peugeot stepped in and defended him and said, no, 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 you, you don't understand. You can't talk about emanation with secularists because their eyes glaze over. And I think that is the difference. I mean, that's where the Gnosticism is. It's all emergent. Well, the, this culture emerged to the same archetypes, and therefore 
who cares? And this culture emerged to those two same archetypes, and therefore, who cares, right? But the Christian says, no, 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 no. it's God coming down from above. And that's what creates the archetype. Well, that, this is not okay. So this is why I jumped in because you guys keep on talking as if it's it's one or the other. And and the fact is, oh, that, I, I, that, I that, 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 you, team, no, okay, well, okay. So I was not I was not smiling for the reasons you you said, um, Sam. I was smiling because of something that uh, Paul pointed out today, which really made me laugh. In addition to a bunch of other things that are happening, because Paul. Uh, he said the Noahideism Noahide, uh, thing is all about rainbows and eating meat. And I started thinking, you know, with with uh, John uh, with uh, Jordan Peterson's meat diet, he might just encounter uh, Genesis nine and be and feel like it's calling to him. And uh, the the fact the fact is the fact is. That, uh, so there on, on my server, Jacob is Constantine. He's going to no, co-opt Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Noah Hyde agenda. That's that's the funny thing. So when he was in Jerusalem, Rabbi Shirky, who is the basically the leading rabbi in the Noah Hyde movement, he doesn't speak English, unfortunately. He speaks French and Hebrew. Um, gave him a book on on being Noah Hyde. And uh, this week on my server, we were discussing an article, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, um, and rabbis like him never, ever, like, engage in secular society, basically ever, although Steinsaltz did it more than most. He wrote an article in, in some sort of academic Duke uh, university, but you went to, did you go to Duke? No, you went to Cornell. Cornell. Um, about about Noahide about as the synthesis of all the religions. And it, it just, all of the stuff. So Constantine actually, like Jordan Peterson as Constantine, just everything seems to fit together. And that would be beautiful. Why not? Let's be a little bit more messianic, please. Well, well I, I, go, I want go to ahead, get Paul. to Anselman's point. Because I, because of this, I not only listened to Sam's video, but I started a Constantine biography. And is no it the one by Keegan Chandler? No. No, uh, you should read the one by my friend. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, anyway. So, one of the points that this biographer made about Constantine at the beginning was, would we have sort of a he hegemonic form of Christianity without Constantine? No. And, and I think that's to Anselman's point here, that, um, that what happens with Constantine is you had all of these competing Christianities, and even though Constantine seemed to sort of lean towards the Aryan side, by virtue of this funnel, this really political funnel that Constantine required for his imperial agenda, forced a much more homogeneous version of Christianity into the world, and that, that one eventually became hegemonic. Absolutely. I, I, I think that that is absolutely the case, that even among the diversity of Christianities that we have, we have no form of Christianity that is not Constantinian, right? Every single Christianity that we have, all of Protestantism, there is no existing form of Christianity that is from, that that's family tree isn't funneled through 
the Council of Nicaea and Constantine. Even us anti-Trinitarians are downstream from Protestantism, not connected to some, you know, Syrian, you know, church that somehow dodged that or something like that. Every single church is downstream from Constantine. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's a huge thing. And you know, I don't. The, know the only be. possible exception is Islam, which I do think is something kind of like a Jewish Christian heresy. I and agree that, with you there. And that that I think that it was actually tying and connected to Jewish stuff, Christian stuff, and Jewish Christian stuff in the Arabian Peninsula, and Muhammad sort of synthesized into a new thing. So Islam is really kind of the only exception. And even then, you know, most people won't even like me trying to classify Islam as a Christianity. <laughs> I think he's more like Luther. He's very much like Luther. And you're so right, he, Chad. On my blocked video, I highlighted your point. He is having this on Reformation Day. Whether he knows it or not, I don't know. But he's starting this on Reformation Day. <laughs> well, he starts so... Originally wanted to get into law or politics, right? Peterson did, but then he gets out of it, and like, and then out of his terror, like, not not unlike being almost struck by lightning, he goes into study the uh, the mind, the psychology instead of the church. He does like psychology, right? Well, but then eventually, <clears throat> I am I'm not even looking at you guys. So, so then he eventually um, decides to, to call out the 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 university um, with his like so-called ninety-five theses theses <laughs> for Bill, Bill C sixteen, and then he um, gets like shot up the this status hierarchy with this Gutenberg thing called YouTube. And uh, starts his own church called Peterson Academy, and which is a total Protestant move on the university. And then announces that he's going to have his debate uh, with the university and uh, WEF uh, on Reformation Day, which uh, is not exactly mapping like the whole thing, but hey, it's pretty damn close. Yeah, it's like his Diet of Worms, which I always think is the most hilariously named event in history. The di Diet Is that the one that lasted like 18 days? I'm not sure how long it, it lasted. It lasted a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chad, yeah. you read, um, you, you've been reading some of this stuff, I know. Well, it's almost it's almost like there's a pattern there that you can navigate to understand the world or something. Weird. Too bad if somebody else my channel is navigating patterns to find these patterns that are all over the place. No, don't go to Mark's channel navigating patterns. Go to my channel navigating patterns. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to navigate so many patterns and mine's going to explode. Millions and millions. <laughs> I'm having fun muting you guys selectively. <laughs> that, that is fun. All right. Well, we got to hear from Peter and then Michael, too. Oh. First things first. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. I can hear you. Wonderful. Okay, great. Oh, um, you can see me. I have to apologize for the long question before Paul. I'm very sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, That's okay. I just I just fired by Charlie, so continue. Okay, wonderful. Um, thing is, navigating patterns and freedom. Um, I think it's quite interesting to ask a question. What about the multiplicity of independent actors? Each 
following his own plans and acting upon his own knowledge. Um, I think the aspect of Constantine is important because a great many people have shared values. Although they participate in different churches, different organizations, they each have a, a Christian base. And you might have often heard the point by Douglas Murray of the Birkenfeld victim, German lawyer, that the state works on a basis that he himself cannot maintain without the Christian values that we are losing right now. And I think the difficulty lies in the distinction that, as I pointed out before, uh, liberty is different from politics, but that liberty in the Western sphere seems to be dependent on certain values which we have developed and articulated due to the homogeneity of the Christian values. And in that sense, uh, Peterson indeed tries to recapture something because just as you do, uh, Paul, um, he goes into the public sphere, articulates, and makes things explicit so that other people can participate in it, each and every one grasping and taking up what they find interesting and moving independently. And a kind of spontaneous order emerges by that if a multiplicity of people independently, without knowing each other, um, act in a similar fashion. The problem is not everyone does so. And how do you maintain that? That independent actors can certainly walk inside that frame. And so the participation in the sense of navigating patterns is distinct. It's not the same if we have a common organization to which we adhere to distinct from a multiplicity of independent agents. And I think that's the problem where the element of participation comes in. Because we have too much focus on participation in the, for, in the first and former sense, but not in the spontaneous possibility for the emergence of independent navigations inside of a pattern, a great pattern of an abstract society. And now I shut up. Wow. Yeah, not what in the US. I mean, you just that you just <laughs> described that, that was good. You just described uh, John Verveke steal the culture idea, right? And it doesn't work because it leads to Gnosticism. And you keep putting oh, the okay. Christian values below everything and gnawing on the bones. And the Christians say, no, it's emanation from above. And you, when you're looking up, now if you're looking at the same thing, those patterns can cohere and you can participate correctly. That's really the only difference. But all you described was Gnosticism. I want to see Mark do his mega mind imitation. And he, he <laughs> there, yeah, there we go. Mark, you can be, uh, who, who's the guy in um, um, Austin Powers? You just need a little me, too. <laughs> you need a mini me? Yeah, yeah. I have a very simple question to that. And that is, what is um, Gnosticism, in your opinion, you also mentioned in the chat that you have not heard a good definition of it. And the second thing is, how did we reach with Gnosticism, seemingly, the great extended order that we have, which goes over it's all not, the world? It's not, no, no, it's not with Gnosticism. Gnosticism it's is the result of Solipsism. It's independent. It's a pattern that recurs, irrespective of all other variables. Take all the variables out and just add humans. Gnosticism will occur unless they have that, that emanation from above. And that's basically what Lindsay's saying. He's just drawing the line. He's drawing a linear line through, through time. 
And, and that, you don't need that. You can just say, oh, these ideas, everybody can do what Hegel did because Hegel wasn't that bright. Sorry. I never you agree with you. All right. Mark, Mark and Peter, you should go over to Navigating Patterns and work this out. We should hear from yeah. Michael. This, yeah. this is all a gift from God. This is all a gift from God. He did this to us with uh, the, the Tower of Babel. Duh. He's like, you guys are stupid. I'll make you stupider. Bless you. All right, Michael. Yes. What do, you, what do you have to say? Well, I mean, I think Chad's right. We had a we had talked a little bit this morning on texting back and forth about stuff, but um, the you know, like I, it's I I try to be open minded, but you know, the the to me the the beautiful thing about looking through the stories of the scripture through the more Calvinist lens is that like. You, you see these things that God does, and it's not just like this arbitrary meanness. So something like the Tower of Babel was, in fact, a loving thing that he did in some way um, because it was going to help those different people flourish, um, you know, which is kind of all our little communities splitting off and, and also why I have a hard time whenever people criticize the um, disunity of Protestantism because I've experienced such um, beneficial um, blessings by from being in such a diverse type of churches there and 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 f seeing real unity with the people that I meet there, even though culturally and all these things might be very different, we're united in our love of Christ. And then I get to learn how their unique perspective and culture and all that thing illuminates Christ in a way that wouldn't come naturally to me, but now I can begin to learn about it and understand it some. So, um, right. yeah. <laughs> positive, positive case for uh, um, split happy Protestants and yeah. evangelicalism, which, I mean, because what's interesting about Protestantism is it's just this major fracture and evangelicalism sort of comes along the bottom and says, no, but we can all sort of. I mean, well, Protestantism has had. Uh, Protestantism regularly has things like that, that are sort of bottom up movements to reunify a bunch of things. And there are various times in history where that's happened. Like the restoration movement was a really big one of those in sort of the 1800s. Yep. yep, um, yep. And those sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the Catholic apologists who are like, look at Protestantism, divided, bad. We unified, we good, you know, are <laughs> a little simplistic in that it depends what you mean by unified. There are more kinds of unity than ecclesiastical unity. What's more, who's in greater unity, that Methodist church and that United Church of Christ or Russia and Ukraine right now? You know, well, um, there are different kinds of unity. Um, well, like the Protestant that relates to the point that Michael uh, made earlier on with the Tower of Babel. And I think there we have a problem that something emerges due to the kind of strange retrospective. There was a time when Jesus was obviously not on earth. And we all know of a point by C.S. Lewis that through Christ I see everything. After Christ died, Paul made the point that we could read the original text differently from the original tradition that we were able to um, make relations and have patterns emerge which we were not understanding but which were seemingly always there 
seemingly. And yeah. that is the question. Is it really something that emerges um, that is hidden? Or is it something like full, uh, like a fulguration? The term fulguration means like a, uh, like a lightning comes from above. It certainly hits us and it comes from God knows where. But the other thing is that other people say, okay, emer emergence, it comes from uh, down below, up to the heavens. And is it really the one or the other? That's the one question. And do we really know of the conditions in how that quality emerges? I think there was a time, what I'm saying is, uh, that the unification could not actually um, happen because there was no perception of the qualities which can have the relations emerge. We need to have a kind of change in our classifications and our perceptions for that to happen. And so we had a time where people think and only were able to think of the Tower of Babel as something negative, for example. And only after Christ and his death, we were able to read it in a different fashion. And so I think that is the question, how different qualities emerge throughout in time and how we are to um, tolerate the different interpretations that have not yet been established. Otherwise, we have many churches and many hierarchies which say, oh, we are all orthodox and we are all sacred thanks. We are the highest. We have the right to interpret everything because we are the older one. We are the more original. That's that, doesn't, that doesn't happen in Catholicism, guys. I don't know what you guys think about Catholicism, but that's not. The Catholics have so many splits in them. It's really kind of hysterical. It probably is diverse as the Protestants. You all don't know that. Right? No, Right, and they have one oh, commonality. Yeah, we know that. We know that. Talking about I, would, I would suggest anybody. I, ahead, I would Chad. suggest that anybody out there go and actually read this. Go out there and read this book, Reformation. It was eye opening. It's still eye opening to me. But like, Protestantism and postmodernism is like the logical outcome of the hand of God. Of course, it would be that way. It's ever creating. It's ever growing. You don't have to like it. And I'm probably roboting like a son of a bitch. No, actually, you sounded pretty good, Chad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. It's what you cooperate. Ideas. Do you like my ideas? I did like your ideas. I still, I haven't read that book, Reformations. I should read that. You need something up above that you're all pointed at in order to cooperate. And this emergence, emergence, emergence is never going to get you there. You can talk about emergence and structures that emerge all day long, but they don't last for a reason. And that's because you can't cooperate unless your eyes are right. It's like a marriage. You, you're not, you don't submit yeah, to your partner in a marriage. You submit to the marriage. Of course, Mark. But Mark, if you, if you look at us at a point across from you, your eyes are constantly moving. So it's, you're not constantly fixed like this. So no, you're not. Human, right. So human beings are, you know, we want to, like, if you look at the pet, you look at the patio and overall, it's constantly moving. It's just like that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the, that, you know, like there's no way around. It's true, it. but if you don't all aim at the same place, way, so you have two problems. We're going to. Are you making a postmodern point in the sense of very, the uh, word is too complex, there are too many changes, or what are you talking about? In the connection. Well, the point I'm making is like we are a unity because uh, we're all on the same planet, and uh, we're going to screw it up and get it right, and screw it up and get it right, and that's the point I'm making. So whatever, it doesn't really matter. I'm a drunk. I don't know shit, anyways. Part Sounds like Socrates. The end, so, um. but the question is, if we are partaking in that unity, 
uh, are we partaking in the same manner? I think there is a point that Jordan Peterson often makes. I don't care what you say. What you do is what you act upon and you do it in an implicit fashion. But I have often gr uh, grasped a point that I am often uncomfortable with his explanation because he makes a point that I make use of assumptions in my motivations, which I might not necessarily be aware of. So there is a distinction between implicit knowledge, which you can ascribe to the experiences because of the kind of similarity in our perception and the distinction between the assumptions which go in and our motivations. And so this might lead to a fallacy, which is due to the methods of pragmatism. All right, I'm gonna close the stream at the top of the hour. Uh, I've got a few questions I want answered. What are you guys most looking forward to next in this little corner of the internet? Can be a virtual thing or a physical thing? Well, I got one I can talk about that um, I've been working on this trade school idea for a little while. And um, Chad's been helping uh, with it and some other folks. And uh, so if anybody's not on my channel, it's going to be a separate channel. But, you know, that's little, where give us a little out. give us your uh, elevator pitch here. OK, so basically um, I'm working on writing a curriculum. And this is something that when I have my own business, I plan to do in the future. But it's kind of like an apprenticeship model. And my idea is. You have people, hopefully godly men in local churches, connect them to young guys that don't have a career or a trade. And then while they are learning how to, um, you know, learn some some skills and trades, there's going to be a, a foundation of biblical knowledge and connecting those two. Because there's so much metaphors in the Bible about building and creating and um you know, all these things. And in our virtual world that we now live in, we, we know less of the, the material half of those metaphors than, than ever. So, it, you know, and this is somewhat born out of the fact that working in trades has been very beneficial for my spiritual life. And um, it's helped me to understand a lot of things that I learned about the Bible growing up in a much deeper way. So that's the, um, that's the elevator pitch. Excellent. Excellent. Anyone else? Eric says, our father yeah. Eric says no more navel gazing on this little corner, but um, May coming up um, May 18 to 21, there'll be paintball for Jesus it'll be in Chino, California. Uh, it'll be Vanderclay, Verveke, Peugeot, Vendank. Uh, Catherine will be there. Um, so they're talking about organizing something in February in Israel. Oh, great. I'm looking forward to Michael's project the most. That, that yeah, yeah I, I think. I, I hope he gets it done. Culturally, you know, it's so needed. Um, and, and in my, some of the most vibrant churches I've seen are filled with tradespeople. They do stuff. So Chad's one. Chad knows. So. Yeah. I think I'm a very important point to, to which. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go right ahead. Thank you very much. Um, I think a very important point to which this little corner of the internet needs to return is the discussion between Douglas Murray, uh, Jonathan Peugeot, and Peterson 
and to take up the points that Douglas made, especially with regards to the dialogue on religion by Gottmauer and his relation to Nietzsche. I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to be unearthed. It has not been addressed. It is very important for our understanding of the allegorical nature of our stories. I think that is very important. Okay. All right. All right. I'm excited for some commentary on that Constantine video, Paul. So. <laughs> Always trying to get into the center. Oh, look, it's Mo. I'm also excited. I'm talking to Grim Grizz sometime soon. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but uh, uh, who, who's echoing? Is that you, Mo? It started when you came in. Yeah, it's probably Mo or CW. Mo, Mo's 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 just getting uh, Mo's just getting into this this little corner. So I'm looking forward to uh, that. I'm looking forward for us to finish our uh, Peter Pan story. Yeah. You've heard uh, words of so that, we've been meeting on Wednesdays. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, we just meet the meet. It's it's kind of slow, but it's coming along. So we're uh, we're not a part. We're our kind of own little art group. But uh, hearing you guys, you plugged that other art group the other day. That was great. Looking forward to that film. I tried reaching out to that guy because I got an idea for a film, but that would cost like way too much money. But it'd be cool. All right. Pass. We got we got CW in the room. We don't want to waste this opportunity. CW, did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, Rick coming on screen at some point. I, I, I Rick, Rick's not Rick's not a guy who wants to get on screen. I don't he think he will. Rumors that. are he's coming to Chino. He was supposed to come to Thunder Bay, but then he didn't have his driver's license, but or whatever passport. But then it turned out nobody else did. He. And they all got across too. Yeah, we had that whole scene, and um, Luke, you know, Luke, uh, Luke shows up at the Canadian border without his passport. <laughs> yeah, that was the saddest thing because it turned out Rick could have. I mean, although at some point you probably have so many people without a passport, and then they just turn you back. It was it was so funny because you know we're getting back into America, and and you know. Looks like the other guy didn't have a passport, but Luke has a passport. Like, I didn't, I didn't think I would need it. <laughs> we are sitting at the border. And we're like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, Jared and I are just leaving there. The border to the airport. <laughs> so, Paul, risk of making this even worse, would you extend an invitation to communion to Sam? I mean, I know you don't know him as well as Mo, but I'm just kind of curious. Like, I know I'm making everything worse. Don't make him answer that question. I give you the get out of answering this question free card, Paul. If you choose, that wasn't to use the most it. discreet um, <laughs> endorsement there, Sam. I like the Jordan Peterson answer to this. I don't answer questions like that. <laughs> That's right, the God question. I don't answer. It's so funny because I don't answer questions like that. But it's like, dude, it's in some ways all you can talk about on the internet is God, but you just use do it in a way that people are like. He's not really talking about God. It's like, yes, he is. Uh, he was he was referring in that way to if your if your wife asks if she looks fat in the dress, says the way you answer that is, I don't answer questions like that. That's how you can be truthful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I wait. Sam can move to Sacramento and find out. I'll <laughs> just Michael Servetus you sometime, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> I will not burn you at the stake, Sam. I hope not. <laughs> Just tell your people not to either. 
Well, you got musical skills. I mean, I'm I'm just a oh, I saw that skills yeah. right now. So yeah, it's there's so much around here. As long as you play the piano, you are free to go, and you will not be burned on the stake. I do. I currently play the piano at my church, but not at his. That's not at his. No. Oh, uh, he, he to totally easily play the piano at my church. C CW CW has a very interesting relationship with churches. But I won't. I won't bring that out here on the channel. So I like oh, the Donegal for similar holidays. to mine. Yeah, it's it's in some ways it's in some ways similar to yours. So um, it was fun. The fun thing about these live get-togethers is, you know, I got to um, get to know. See, I'm still waiting for that for that Minneapolis estuary to get underway. Um, you know. There's this really cool glass dome on top of a hotel that overlooks the skyline. I would love to have a conference there, if for no other reason, just the, like the aesthetic value. Of... Put it together. Right. It, what's interesting is that, you know, things are bubbling up. So Cassidy's got some thoughts about 2023 in Europe that I've mm -hmm. talked to her about. She's got bigger thoughts for 2024 in Europe. Um, of course, Chino is, you know, tickets going to be available for Chino soon. I'm going to be in Chino next week, Tuesday night. There's a meetup at John's church. I'm going to be there. So John always loves it when extra people show up. So if you're in Southern California next week, Tuesday night, meet up at the cross point church in Chino, I will be there. Um, but, and then, you know, the, the Israelis talking about organizing something for February, 2024, and um yeah so there's a lot of stuff that's bubbling up so if you want to get on the calendar organize your uh organize your group and um well i guess that's what mo's for with chicago hey, what about chicago where's the what's the status of the whole um you gonna do another chicago event this year sam i'm not sure if we'll get something that it's in mo's plate if he's going to get something done for 2023 I have visions for 2024, but I haven't done much to get things moving on that. I think so it's crazy. I just found out that Mo is going for an MDiv. I don't know how the hell he's going to do all these things. Mo doesn't so have an MDiv yet? No. He's, he's going to Calvin right now, apparently. He just oh. enrolled. Or, I don't know. But... Wow. Wow. Monica wants to know who in the Southeast is going to put something together. Um, you know, Rod Trip in Nashville. Trip just put on a conference in Charleston for mere Anglicanism or something like that that had some big names. So we need to get Trip to do something more this cornery in Charleston. Yeah, yeah, that could be cool. Trip was gonna do when when we were gonna have our West Coast tour, Trip was gonna do something in Seattle with us. So who knows? Who knows? All right, uh three minutes, lightning round. Um Couple of sentences of something you need to say, something you want everybody to hear. Let's hear it. God bless. Bye bye. <laughs> we'll bring it. We'll bring Eric in. You got anything, Eric? Not a thing. No, All right. Nothing to say. All right. Anybody else? Lightning round. What you want to say? You can promote. You can promote navigating patterns or grim grizzes as, as Patreon if you want to. I think the new trolling mantra should be Jacob is Mossad. <laughs> I think that Chad is right that Peterson is more like Luther than he is like um, Constantine I, I always thought there was a real similarity between Luther and Peterson temperamentally I mean and also what they attract 
Here I stand, I'll do no other. Yeah. Yeah, and Luther just kept, I mean, when you look at how Luther starts, he's like, I want to have an intellectual conversation. And then, no, we're going to take you down here and we're probably going to burn you other than to just back him into a corner. It's like, and that's the whole hilarious thing about the College of Psychologists. This was your move to try to rein him in? Really? Did you, have you learned nothing watching Jordan Peterson over the last six years? They should read Reformations. <laughs> they should. You, you know, if Peterson wasn't so against pseudepigraphy, he would be a dead ringer for Kierkegaard. Like he's a bit of a dandy. I don't agree. I've read a lot of Kierkegaard and I can say it's only superficially. The similarity is only superficially. The deeper you go into Kierkegaard, the more distinctions you see. I must say uh, you can recognize it in the stance to the idea. No, I'm not going to go into it. I'm stopping. <laughs> but I don't think there, the similarity is that deep. I agree, Peter. All right. All right. Anything else? Otherwise, I'm going to close the stream. But I think the idea between the church fathers and that Peterson is similar to them. I think that might be also something plausible. Peterson as church father? Yes, I've often heard that by Bishop Barron um, because he was someone going into public and um, drawing the attention of the people and organizing something as an organizer, I think. Hmm. One of Origen's three types of interpretation is psychological interpretation. Because psyche was the word for soul. Sure, sure. I guess Peterson could be a Luther in the sense that he's an institutionalist who's disowned the institution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. And vice true. versa. See, see, most said, most said CW was smart. Here he's showing it right on the channel. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. I'm going to close out the close out the broadcast here. Thank you all for coming. And as Luke said, is this still on? So I don't know if Cassidy's going to live stream this afternoon or what, but um, thank everybody for watching. And uh, I will end the transmission.